You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stevings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and good morning and welcome to episode number 274 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in a very, well, what, what can I say, air-conditioned studio this week. I mean, it's, it's not air-conditioning in the traditional sense, well, no, obviously, no. you know, but uh, I mean, it'll do in an emergency. I'm not, I, I tell you, I'm shocked <laughs> that we, we have um, invested in a new fan for the studio which is behind uh, where me and matt are here in the studio and it's one of those towery fans yes, swingy yes. things and I, I tell you what i'm really impressed it's, it's, right, it's good. good well who, who'd have thought buying something on amazon <laughs> could give one man so much joy oh, uh, dear. i mean i can think of several websites that would enable carlos anyway no we'll, we'll gloss over that and move on um, yes aviation herald being one of them yeah, of course um, yes so that, that's what i meant how are you yeah i'm all right mate yeah not too bad it's been mm. a, it's been a funny old week i'm not gonna lie yeah uh, but quite glad to to be at the end of it and i've got today and tomorrow off uh, this afternoon doing a little bit more work in the studio uh fiddling with green screens and things like that uh, uh, and hopefully trying to adapt a way of installing uh, our new cameras that also yeah. arrived last week. So quite excited by that. I can uh, say that I did this week, whilst I was driving my truck, right. I saw a certain Smith coming in the opposite direction to me in his coach. Okay, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, that, 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 to be fair, that does happen quite often. <laughs> I quite often see you and give you a wave uh, as we're going past. And I have to say, for those of you, for those of you listening, uh, honestly, I, if I could... Just take the SIM card out of my, or the uh, memory card out of my dash cam in the truck to send you a screenshot of Matt's face as he's driving. He has got to be the most serious faced <laughs> bus driver or coach driver in the world. Right. Okay. In the I world. Hope so. I mean, <laughs> the, the concentration levels on your face. Yeah, look, I mean, in my defense, in my defense, look, uh, uh, this, this is not something that I appreciate everybody will get. But most of the work that I do involves school children, and I'm not going to lie, it's one of the things that terrifies me the most. Not because of the children, because they're almost always lovely. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you get the odd exception. But I'm carrying, like, essentially, in my case, 53 other people's children. Have you any idea how terrifying <laughs> that is? If you imagine, Carlos, that there were 53 <laughs> poppy cats behind me, if I wasn't oh, well, concentrating, yeah, what yeah. would you do to me? <laughs> But I did get a wave, so that's a... You did, yes, absolutely. Eventually, yes, when I realised it was... Do you know know what gives it away in your truck? It's not any of the expensive livery or anything. Not the Carlos It's the the Carlos thing at the front that I can see coming towards me. He's he's got one of those silly number plates that says Carlos on it. Anyway, riveting um, though this is for everyone else. So, uh, apologies for this week. Nev is on holiday this week again. He's uh, We've given him another week off, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Rest well deserved. Rest well deserved, yeah. So he's enjoying himself in the sunshine. So, hello to you, Nev. However... However, good news, good have, news, I'm delighted to say. I know, we have uh, got back this week, and uh, he's the man who puts the O in, oh my God, it's early, it's Armando. I do worry about you. Oh, good morning. <laughs> it, it is in, incredibly early here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is five in the morning, oh. so... If I go a little bit cross-eyed while reading yeah, some of his articles, that's completely don't mind me. Yes, but uh, fresh, fresh mind, though, fresh mind. Right? Is he, he, I'm not sure that's how this works, Carlos. Fresh mind. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How are you, Armando? How's things? Uh, great, actually. Um, so 
I haven't been on the show for a couple of weeks now, and it's it's mostly because I've been doing a lot of flying. Uh, like you said last week, Carlos, the weather was wonderful on Friday. Um, so probably some some good updates is uh, so post military career, I've decided not to just go right into a full time airline job or something like that. So um, I'm kind of just taking on a bunch of random odd flying jobs in the area. The coolest of which is I'm following in Stuart's footsteps and I'm starting to train as a skydive pilot. Oh, cool. Um, so it's, it's great because it's a incredibly underpowered Cessna 182 <laughs> out of a grass strip on hot North Carolina a summer days. So that should be a nice flying challenge. <laughs> and then in addition to that, I've been flying quite a bit with the Civil Air Patrol. So doing some search and rescue training, flying a lot of cadets because uh, school is out. So we're, we're trying to fly as many air cadets as possible um, to the point where I think one day I did six flights in one day, each one of them one hour. Um, so been doing that quite a bit and still we're doing some aviation camps coming up next week. So basically just taking our, our airplane all over the state and, and showing it off. Um, and then the last update is I was able to get uh, interview with Larry Combs. If you get, if you get, if you guys remember, Larry did our P-51 Red Nose interview oh, yeah, with the commemorative yeah. interview. Well, he was actually a crew chief on one of those DC-3s that went over to Dax over Normandy. Wow. So basically, I, I was listening to Nick, uh, Captain Nick, do his interview and, and his segment with uh, the guys there in Duxford. And Larry's going to come back post-trip and, and give us a, a really nice oh. interview with some firsthand experience of getting the aircraft over there, doing the, the uh, Normandy overflight, and then getting the aircraft back to the U.S. to somewhere really? in Texas. So That's so, yeah, so cool. I really cannot wait to hear that. That is going to be fantastic. That is so More cool. excellent content. Yeah, a that. lot of love uh, in the chat room. Everybody's sort of saying hi here. Also, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Richard Adams is saying, getting up that early, you really need that coffee fund, uh, which I think is fair. <laughs> Neil <laughs> Lamborn is saying it's 11 a.m., uh, here, but I've been up since four chasing a South African A340. Oh, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 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 is it? Uh, I apologise in advance if I get this wrong. So it's uh, I want to say Frick Grunwald, eleven oh five here in South Africa. That's very ah. cool. Look at that. How and hello it? to you, David Coville as well. Hello ah, to you, David. Lots of new faces. This is what I, I know, like this to see. Good. This is good. Uh, on the it. subject of, uh, whilst it's, it's quite early here, it's 10 a.m. here, obviously. Uh, did we do a time check? I can't remember. Well, we haven't. We've got the guest. Got the well, no, I know. But it's, uh, no, I know. That's oh, time was, check. Well, it's yeah. uh, uh, seven minutes past ten. Absolutely. So it's quite a civilised time here in the, morning. In the UK. Honestly, in just go with me for a second, Carlos. Okay. Uh, and uh, as I say, it's it's essentially half past silly o'clock where Armando is. Uh, there, <laughs> there is, uh, uh, however, where, um, where our next guest is from, it's basically beer o'clock. Well, I would say barbecue o'clock. <laughs> oh, I see. I know, but that's because you're trying to offend all of our Australian listeners, which is <laughs> great news. <laughs> because joining us, we have got the, the the man who puts the bee in barbecue. It's the Grant McCarran. Once again, I apologise for anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, guys. How are we all doing? 
Yeah, very good. I can't look, mate. I cannot believe that it's basically exactly a year, more or less, uh, within a week or so, that you and I were in Rome together with Owen and the lovely Jenny in Rome, who was a fabulous guide. Let's be honest. Um, yes. I, I cannot believe a year has come round so fast. Of course, you've been back there recently. Yeah. Correct. Uh, the user forum was back on again, first week of June. So uh, arrived on the, at stupid o'clock on the Sunday morning and uh, dropped my stuff at the hotel, and then proceeded to go walk about in about twenty-seven or so degrees of uh, Celsius heat. You right. know the real metric the heat. The real number. And yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was sixty thousand steps that day, and then Monday was forty thousand. Yeah. Some of which involved <laughs> wow. Jenny and her friend from work. We met up with them, f- oh, a couple brilliant. of guys uh, from the Australian vendor. And I met up with Jenny and one of her friends from work, and we went and had lunch, which was awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it was really good. Very busy, uh, very productive, um, yeah. a very good uh, session uh, being in Rome once again. Um, a lot of what we discussed with them came through from last year. So yeah, all very, very good. And uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll see what happens next year. But it was a shame that you were on the other side of the country at the time. Yeah, I know. I can't get over that. I was to say, I was, believe it or not, I was actually in Italy uh, around about the same time. But uh, I was, uh, uh, it was my friend's wedding who is, who, mm. my, the lovely friend. In fact, actually, it's the one thing I haven't spoken about. I've got some photos and stuff, which I'll, I'll try and put together at some point. But my, Phil and the uh, absolutely stunning Serena got uh, married in a little place called Aurea. Um, and I flew into Brindisi once again. The legend that is Jenny had to help me out because uh, I was having a few minor issues with transfers and taxis. And the trouble is, I don't speak any Italian, and neither did the uh, the company who had organised the taxi for me. So once again, Jenny to the Always rescue. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great thing about doing this show, though, is that we've yeah, got absolutely. we've got we've yeah, got friends actually, in so many countries. You say that though. The one thing that really blew me away actually is is Mr. Grant McCarran over there. He's a little bit handy with the old Italian lingo. Oh. It has to be said, yeah. Uh, not, not really the Italian. I, I get better. Uh, I get around. Uh, well, yeah, my Italian's pretty bad, but uh, my Spanish is a lot better. So I get around Rome speaking Spanish, English, and bad Italian, and it's oh, a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> but okay. uh, it is actually beer o'clock here. But due to some technical difficulties, I seem to have um, mm, gotten behind on um, refilling my beer. But that's the B and barbecue, is of course beer what's right, a barbecue without beer <laughs> well this is true uh, right well um, i'll tell you what we'll do then while while you're recharging your now empty glass which is clearly a disaster uh we will uh, we will get things underway shall we yep so we are going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the uk so if you're ready matt i am and if you're ready armando let's do it grant yep i'll be right back and be ready <laughs> let's go <laughs> <Goodbye>. let's go <laughs> See, I'm beginning to wish I got a beer in front of me now because Neil Lamorne's saying, "Oh, I'll be going for a beer shortly too." I mean, this is not the news what I want to hear first thing in the morning. <laughs> so, the first uh, news story is another story that you, you don't really want to hear, Matt. If oh, you're is flying, it? Oh, uh, oh, flying across uh, the pond as such, uh, or to Australia, actually. And uh, this is a co- kind of a commercial military type story. This is a bit of, bit of each. So, uh, the headline: This is on the uh, NewYorkTimes.com website. And the headline, airlines divert flights around Iran after U.S. drone is shot down. Oh, so yes, yes. several. Saw, this actually made main news here in the yes. UK, didn't it? Yeah. 
Um, so actually, I'm quite shocked he got shot down. These yeah, drones are quite, um, you know, technologically advanced. Uh, so several international airlines were diverting planes from flying over the Straits of Hormuz and parts of Iran yesterday, uh, a day after the Iranian military shot down an American surveillance drone uh, and uh, United States went to the brink of launching a retaliatory strike. The Federal Aviation Administration issued emergency order early on Friday that prohibited all American flights in Tehran-controlled airspace above the the Persian Gulf and Gulf of Oman because of heightened military activities and increased political tensions. The agency said that flight operations in the area were prohibited until further notice. United Airlines uh, said in a statement that after a security assessment it had suspended all flights between Newark uh, Liberty International Airport in New Jersey and Mumbai, India, that typically fly through Iranian airspace. The German airline Lufthansa has said... Uh, uh, in an email statement that its planes will not fly over the Straits of Hormuz and that the diversion area was likely to expand. Uh, the Dutch airline KLM has also diverted its flights as a precautionary measure because of the incident with the drone. It said in an email statement, uh, Qantas Airlines of Australia said in a statement that it would be rerouting flights to avoid the Straits of Hormuz and the Gulf of Oman, which would affect its flights to and from London. Uh, BA... Uh, has said it's taking similar measures on its flights. And on Thursday this week, President Trump approved military strikes against Iran in retaliation for the downing of the drone, but then abruptly pulled back from launching them. Officials said uh, that Trump had initially approved strikes on targets and included radar and missile batteries before walking back the decision. United States officials maintain the drone, an RQ-4 Global Hawk, was flying in international airspace when it was struck by Iran. Iranian officials said the aircraft had flown into Iranian air territory when it was shot down uh, in the Homozgan province Very good. Uh, along the country's <laughs> southern coast. Uh, Iranian officials insisted the actions were a defensive move. The Foreign Minister Mohammad Javid Zarif tweeted what he said were the exact coordinates of where the drone was targeted near Kuh-e-Marbak within Iranian airspace. The Iranian military later released a video to uh, state-run news outlets that said it showed the moment the missile defense system shot down the American drone. In the clip, a missile can be seen being fired from the Khodrad Air 3 air defense system on the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. And a few seconds later, an explosion can be seen in the sky. And there's various um, tweets and stuff that they've put. Uh, yeah. um, See, I, I think we should probably throw this over because we, we've got uh, two people who on the show this week who are probably a little bit from, more familiar with what a lot of this means, essentially. Uh, so Armando. Yeah, let, let's start with Armando, perhaps. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this story? How do you feel uh, about this? I mean, as a, as a layman, essentially, the one thing that it sort of surprises me a little bit is, is the need to... Uh, you know, surely we have all the information we need in regarding to, to reconnaissance already. <laughs> well, um, there's always information to be uh, gathered... Uh, and updated information, but that's something that pretty much every country does all the time, um, especially those countries that have the resource to, to, resources to do that. Um, and then there's a lot of information sharing. So even, even when it's peacetime, there's a lot of information gathering and in little spats like this, um, you know, there, there's always uh, increased flight activity, um, both manned and unmanned. And this is interesting. So, I, so I, I did see some of the videos that were um, publicly available 
with this shoot down and, and it's uh, it's fairly common for the FAA and EASA and the other regulatory agencies to put out warnings. So if you remember back in Libya, the strikes in Syria, um, a few years ago, India and Pakistan, there was some tension on the border. Uh, so it's, it's fairly common for air um, regulation authorities to put out these warnings that say, hey, by the way, you, you may not want to fly in this area. Um, and I, I remember the one a couple years ago with the Syria uh, missile strikes, it just said, warning, missile firing in this area. Oh, wow. And it, <laughs> As you do. it was very, very simple warning yes, to yeah. the rest I mean, of the cl- world. It's clear and concise in some respects. I mean, you, you can't misconstrue that as something else, can you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, uh, the astute uh, plane watchers and, and aviation enthusiasts that watch this stuff uh, pretty much had a, a heads up that something was going to happen. They didn't know exactly what. So, so the idea that uh, airlines are diverting around the conflict areas is nothing new they just they Very have common. to do something. Yeah. so i mean I, I mean i mean technically we're sort of del- delving into the world of military here but the, the one thing that uh that sort of surprised me a bit really i mean you know i'm sort of very aware that our own airspace and everything is is governed by um like you know ourselves and that now presumably this this drone is flying in airspace that it's not that you know it doesn't necessarily have permission for or or anything like that. Well, it's actually flying. The, the Americans say it was more over the water than what the Iranians say. But that area, if you look at a map of the Straits of Hormuz, that whole area around uh, the Horn is um, that. That's all uh, the Iranian flight information zone. And so what's happening is the Iranians are controlling flights in that area until you come back into the UAE's controlled airspace, etc. Uh, so technically, Yanks are saying that yes, this was at high altitude in uh, in like what what is international airspace, but it's managed right. by uh, by Iran. Okay. It's a very narrow stretch of water. It's there's not a lot of maneuvering room. So okay. you, you know, if you look on the map, there's not a lot of room. Um, it, it's pretty full on. I mean, Australia, we've we've we cover our flight information region covers nine percent of the country of sorry of the world, nine or ten percent, something like that. And you look at it and um, our international space, like what is territorial ours, Mm -hmm. comes out this far, but we control a bigger area. So, yeah, look, you look on the maps, there's not a lot of maneuvering room. Um, The Americans are saying they've got incontrovertible proof that it was here. The Iranians are saying it was here. It's all very, you know, that it was closer to Iran. It's all very, very full on. Um, Oh, man, it's, I mean... I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's an area that's ready to go boom any time. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we won't go into it to, into too much detail, obviously, because we're, we're sort of slipping into the realms of speculation, I suppose. But, I mean, one could argue that the, perhaps this is quite an inflammatory move, shall we say, to to shoot down a drone. I mean, if, if they, if they, I suppose if they can prove that it is actually officially in their rare space, I suppose, I, I don't know, it's, a, it's a, such a minefield, I'm sure. Uh, look, there's potential, and there could be a third operator in there who knows it could be yeah. uh you know parts of iran losing control of other parts of iran who want to make things bad it's 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 a really fascinating part of the world yeah. and there's yeah, so much going on i mean you know it, it, and ever since mh17 everyone's now more mm. aware of flying yeah. there with his missiles yeah because oh, yeah. you know mh17 everyone was still flying over the top of ukraine yeah 
That, that's like right in front of MH17 was Lufthansa and right behind it was Singapore Airlines. Everyone oh, yeah. was doing it. It wasn't just Malaysian cutting corners and all that. So now everyone's a lot more aware than now, this, as Armando was saying about Assyria and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now everyone's concerned. But the ones you've got to worry or feel sorry for are Qatar because Qatar's been having so much problems with its neighbours lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been denying it overfly routes. So it actually has to follow, their aircraft follow around the, the um, typically in the Iranian-controlled um, airspace wow. <laughs> to get to Qatar because they're not allowed to fly over their mates, their neighbours. Uh, so, you know, if, if the Straits of War moves suddenly become a no-fly zone, they're in a lot of trouble trying to do all their flights. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Sorry, we've got ran- random noise just appeared in, in the studio here. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, anything you want to add to that, um, Armando? I mean, it's, uh, as I say, it's, it's a tricky story, really, to sort of cover without... Uh, getting into trouble ourselves i guess <laughs> well no i mean all we have to do all we have to use is is the the you know the, the news and the publicly available stuff but grant yeah. pretty much summed it up you know good i i, I think you're right matt i think it's a, sort of a, a tinder box right now where um yeah shooting down an rq4 is is not a small act and by by all recent media accounts i think the u.s was ready for a retaliatory start, strike um but that that did not happen. So, um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it and hope that uh, nothing does flare up. Yeah, I was looking actually. I just online. I just quickly googled the uh, the kind of airspace map over where this happened, and I see what you mean, Grant. It's a it's a really narrow piece of uh, mm. of uh, area where this uh, where this happened. Yep, not a lot of maneuvering room. Not a lot of maneuvering room at all. No, no. So moving on to uh, the next story then, and uh, this one is uh, yours, Matt. Yes, indeed. So story number two can only be involve one airline, it seems, these days. It's a site I've not seen before, and it's the Lurgan Mail, whatever that means. And the headline is Ryanair flight to Belfast leaves 19 passengers stranded in pl- in Spain. Oops. So around 19 Ryanair customers due to fly to Belfast from Spain watched in disbelief from the airport gate as the plane flew off without them. The passengers were left standing for hours at gate 31 of Alicante Airport as other passengers boarded the plane and left. Uh, at Alicante Elch uh, Airport, the scheduled flight on Wednesday night from 10 past 9, um, the flight uh, FR1308 to Belfast International flew off, leaving 19 stranded. Passengers said doors to the tarmac, where the Ryan airplane was waiting, appeared to have been locked after other passengers had been let through and boarded the plane. Uh, one Lurgan woman said that the... Um, the remaining passengers tried to alert the Ryanair staff at the gate. They herded us back down the gate and totally ignored our pleas, she said. Uh, one guy whose friends were already on the plane called his mate and explained the situation, but nothing happened. We were, we are, uh, we all watched in disbelief as the plane taxied down the runway and flew off without us. We told the staff we could see the plane going and she told us to stand back and stay where we were. Uh, the 50-year-old woman who uh, was with her husband said that they were okay as they had just uh, they just had a hand luggage and have a home in Spain. But she explained there was an elderly man who was diabetic with his, which, of which his medication was in the luggage, uh, which was already on the plane. He looked very ill after waiting at the gate for hours with no seating, she said. The Lurgan woman added, we were herded. Uh, off to the gate. Anyway, basically, you get the the jest here. <laughs> there's one. There's it's, one. It's, there's one thing with this story that worries me slightly. Yeah. 
Um, when when uh, passengers are not travelling on aircraft, mm. they're booked on, but their luggage is on board, what happens before that plane takes off, Matt? Even luggage, you know luggage must be removed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So, if this aircraft took off with all these nineteen passengers worth of luggage still on board, then Something's that's a bit naughty. Bit, yeah, that's a bit. Well, odd, it's a good it? thing that nobody ever checks luggage with Ryanair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, be, yeah, I would I mean, be a bit upset. I, think, I mean, I, I should. So here's, here's a piece on this one. Here's a piece for you. So. Everyone was boarding. Everyone's going on board. Doopy doopy doo. Oh, we'll just close the gates and you 19 can't get on. No. Everyone's on board, gone through the gate. No one else is around. You know, there's something that we're not being told here, yeah. which is you don't close the gate when there's still people coming through in the gate lounge area. You know, it's like, were these people off at the pub? Were they called? Did they turn up late? Mm. Had they already closed and, and sent everyone out? There's stuff in here. It's like, yeah, okay. How did the doors get closed while they still were inside? Yeah. Were they in the queue and the door just suddenly got closed? I don't think so. No. I should just sort of say that the statement that Ryanair put out says a spokesman for Ryanair said all customers on this flight have been provided with hotel accommodation and alternative flights have been organised. So, yeah. <laughs> now, let's be honest. Ryanair are not prone to doing that unless there is any vague possibility that they may have made a small error uh, <laughs> that yeah, they the could be sued can, <laughs> the only thing that i can think of that would lead to this is you, you know most of these airports is some there's a third party running yeah. the the ground mm, operations and or it, someone like that yeah yeah exactly and and maybe they were shorthanded or maybe somebody was not where they were mm. supposed to be in that door closed and you know the two uh gate agents are out of the airplane or something like that and now I, d I don't know. I d now I don't know if this is a company-wide policy, but when I did, because I, I flew into Brindisi from Stansted, that was with Ryanair. That was only a few weeks ago, and I was very, very surprised to see that it was no longer uh, Swissport who were doing the gate handling, but more their own Ryanair Holdings company that were doing the gate agency stuff. And obviously, uh, you know, I had a chat with a couple of people I know who who have worked. Uh, for Ryanair and they were saying apparently that is now you know essentially that's what they've done they've set up their own uh, company to do that now I don't know if they've done that at all bases I mean obviously somewhere like Stansted and uh, you know like their bigger bases obviously that would make sense perhaps they wouldn't bother necessarily with you know some of the smaller airports like like this this could well have been I guess um, but uh, <laughs> as I say I, I do as you say I do feel we're missing some very important information <laughs> Hey, maybe they were at the wrong gate and the staff were letting everyone on. Because, you know, you go to an airport and sometimes some of these gates can be pretty yeah. confusing, especially if you've got A and B or, oh, no, you actually have to go down the stairs and out to get out to the yeah. plane and they're all down there. And these people are at the top going, oh, and they're the 19 who went to the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are as 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 Armando says, we're obviously clearly missing a very key piece of information on this, aren't we? Anyway, I think we should move on. Uh, who's next in the chair, Carlos? So uh, our next story is uh, for you, Armando. Yeah, this is from CNBC.com, and uh, it's kind of on the heels of the Paris Air Show. American Airlines has agreed to order fifty of Airbus's longest range single aisle aircraft. A big endorsement for the planes that. Boeing's chief rival unveiled earlier this week. So the deal for the A321 XLR jetliners was announced at the Paris Air Show on Wednesday. 
Uh, it makes the Fort Worth-based airline the first major U.S. carrier to agree to buy the longest-range narrow-body plane Airbus now offers. Under the agreement, American will convert 30 of its orders for the smaller A321neo in favor of the longer-range model and order an additional 20 A321XLRs. So the planes could replace some of the older aircraft like Boeing 757s. Oh. Um, the new planes are aimed at longer routes where there aren't enough travelers to support the expense of a larger twin aisle aircraft. And of course, Americans endorsement of the new Airbus planes comes as Boeing is mulling an all new double aisle plane targeting mid range routes. So analysts had expected Boeing to unveil the new offering at the Paris air show, but hopes faded as the Chicago based company has been hobbled by the crisis left by the two 737 max crashes. Um, oh, they have, to, they have to get that story. There's, there's, every single story you have with this is like they literally cannot wait to mention that at some point. It must be very frustrating. Must keep it front of mind, old chap. Why? Yeah. Why, though? <laughs> it really is. I feel like the 737 Max is making its way into all yeah. kinds of aviation stories. And, I, you know, when Cirrus uh, grounded their vision jet a few weeks ago because of a. Uh, autopilot issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was the AOA uh, sensor. Yeah, the AOA sensor. Yeah, and attack. of course, they linked it to 737 Max. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. That's not on. even close. <laughs> Jeez, we're talking about jet skis and, and cruise ships. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're, 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 that's a great analogy. I like so that. So moving yeah. away yeah. from the Max thing. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> do you know the one thing that surprises me about this story is, uh, and I don't I, I, I open my mouth here with, as I do each time I speak, frankly, with, with nerves and slight fear, because I don't want to use any kind of political mention if I can at all help it. Uh, but uh, this sounds like a very, very surprising decision by an American-based company. Well, uh, American Airlines is, is, I believe, now the largest uh, U.S. air carrier, and they inherited quite a few Airbus products when they absorbed U.S. Airways. Right. Um, so, so Americans actually been operating the Airbus product uh, for more than a few years now. And I, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I like both aircraft. Yeah. And I, I think it's just a decision for American to, you know, the, the XLR is a, mm. is a great plane. And it, you know, if you think about, if you think about the routes that, seven fives are on uh, you know going to Reykjavik well you, you need a, a plane that can get there but you probably don't need 300 people going there so um, yeah. I think it's a good move by American but then we're going to see a little bit later in the show uh, one of the other stories where the tables turn oh, and okay. one yeah, of okay. our European yeah. characters I, I guess that's what I'm just sort of saying you know in, in a time where um uh, where, the, where the president is encouraging, uh, you know, America to be great again. I'm just surprised, if you like, that, uh, you know, not it's not necessarily the the flag carrier, but, it, but it's as close as you're going to get to a flag carrier, well, I would perhaps say. What's Grant? Yes. Oh, oh okay. okay. So, <laughs> yeah, i got to do it. Um, <laughs> don't forget, Airbus has an assembly line for A320 class aircraft in the US. Right. So, True. also, this whole uh, not invented here, oh, Airbus is not American, yeah. uh, I call blowing snow on that because there is so many components made from all around the world. Where are the engines from? Are they American? Could be. Pratt & Whitney. Yeah. Yay. You know, are they using ah, those? Or, you know, it's, you've got to look at every, the whole thing, uh, 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 an, um, like Boeing, 
so many of their components come from overseas, including Europe. So, you know, it's it's yeah. no fair point. It's also, Kind of thing, but also I think American was the one that uh, put a Neo order in when Boeing was saying no, no, no one wants a re-engined aircraft; they want a whole new one. And then I think it was American that suddenly went, yeah, well, actually we were ordering the A320 Neo, and that was what woke Boeing up to the fact that they mm. needed to create the Max in the first place. Right. But okay. uh, oh, so it's all yeah, their fault. Like oh, brilliant! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 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 we won't go there, but yeah, uh, yeah look, it's it's. It, it's just plain horse sense. Uh, yeah. You need an aircraft with that range, with that density. I personally am not too keen on being on that aircraft and, unless I am able to get up the front and closer to a bathroom with fewer people trying to get to it. Because imagine <laughs> you've just got two bathrooms down the back, possibly mm. slimline ones. Uh, you've got the cabin crew in the galley. They're trying to bring the trolleys around for the second or third issue of the tranquilizer course <laughs> of uh, you know alcohol <laughs> to try and keep the economy class people stabilized. Hey. And you've got a whole lot of people wanting to go to the loo. You know, it's it's like, Ooh, oh, yeah, the tranquilizer trolley is great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I did uh, – Kit and I went uh, Melbourne to um, Bali um, with Virgin on the 737. And all I can say is um, – I'm very, and also to Fiji on the same kind of aircraft. I'm just very happy that we were up the front and there was, mm. uh, what, eight seats for one bathroom uh, rather than down the back where everyone else had two bathrooms. Yeah. You know, it uh, – No, that's not ideal. You, and I you didn't have to you, – you walk around a bit you know i think it's worth mentioning also that certainly from a cabin crew's perspective i can uh i can you know i've spoken to people who've flown on both aircraft as cabin crew both on on uh a380s triple sevens and that kind of thing and and I, th I don't think i'm speaking out of turn when when i say they very much prefer like from a cabin crew point of view how things are laid out in the triple seven for example over the a380 so uh, mm. I, I think to be fair you're the the the, the the people flying on the aeroplane uh, probably agree with you, Grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's also better crew rest on a um, on a long-haul wide-body airliner. You've got yeah. the above the cockpit and behind or in the tail, et cetera. You've got spaces where the crew have their own dedicated bunks and a wide body. Whereas, you know, do, imagine doing six hours to eight hours in one of these things and uh, you know, it, it depends what the, the airlines decide, uh, what kind of um, seat pitch are they going to do. Yeah. Is it going to be eight hours in a seven and a half inch wide seat at 31 inch seat pitch? No, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like to see at least 18 inch wide and 32 to 34 inch. You know? I mean, you know, speaking, speaking as a gentleman with a, a more ample frame than most, uh, <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that, is, that is a number that frightens me, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> So moving on, the next story, Oops, uh, Grant. <laughs> yeah, while he gets his drink. The uh, next story is a special, yes. special story just for you, Grant. I know. I, I, as, as I was going through the show notes, yes, I read the show notes, I'm looking at things and going, oh, I wonder which one's right. Oh, look, Qantas, we know who's got that one. <laughs> yes, um, yes. This is talking. <laughs> it's from the New Daily, and it's saying, from turbulent times to blue skies, Qantas's remarkable 10-year turnaround. Uh, I've got some Qantas at a glance and, you know, uh, share price risen 370% in the last five years. Uh, but here we go. A decade ago, television sets across Australia were blaring the news that one of the nation's most recognisable and beloved brands, Qantas, was waging a ruthless industrial war against its employees. The high-stakes saga began in August 2010 when Qantas pilots rallied over fears the company would move jobs offshore and morph to include engineers and maintenance staff after plans to axe 1,000 local jobs were revealed. In October 2011, in an attempt to crush the union uprising, Qantas CEO Alan Joyce dramatically grounded the entire fleet and told staff they would be locked out. 
Side note, uh, this, uh, they say here, Qantas later claimed the industrial action cost at $194 million, including $70 million from the grounding, $56 million through lost customer loyalty and forward bookings, and $68 million from union actions in the lead-up to the grounding. Uh, generally held in public um, that the decision was made late at night and it grounded the next morning. Uh, no, there is early information running around about how hotel rooms were being booked two or three days in advance, couriers were being organised to run stuff around. Um, that grounding was reasonably well played, uh, planned out. It wasn't a spur of the moment. They were ready to go and had a whole lot of people in, in place, etc. But anyhow, uh, talks about how the battle dragged out, uh, closure of the Tullamarine heavy maintenance site, uh, Oldest airline, high-profile high CEO, weathered turbulent times. Uh, now Qantas is riding high from posting record profits in the last financial year to this week making a triumphant return to top 10 of the world's best airlines, an accolade it hadn't enjoyed for three years. It's also beaten out rival Virgin Australia to top customer satisfaction rankings. Shareholders who once called for Mr. Joyce's head have seen the company's stocks <laughs> rise in recent years from a low of $1.16 in 2014 to the current rate of $5.45. And what can one say? But it's amazing what happens when you actually stop gallivanting around and actually run an airline. <laughs> um, Joyce, a few years back, he did. He, he actually stopped all the showboating, all the other stuff. Uh, there was a whole lot of internal politics. There's all the rumor and scuttlebutt and all that kind of stuff. But when he actually started running the airline and they stopped trying to prop up Jetstar by using the main line, oh, did I say that? Anyhow, um, <laughs> yeah, they ran the airline properly and things have turned around. And shock, you know, it's, it's actually working. The, if yeah. you run an airline as, properly, it will work. Yeah, I don't, well, but, you, yeah, could, you could say that about, about being back in black. Yeah, oh, you, sorry. Yeah, no, you. I say you could say that about virtually every airline, couldn't you? Really? Frankly? Have you seen how much uh, Matt? Have you seen how much Alan Joyce took home? Uh, 2017, 18. Uh, uh, was it? Um, <laughs> let's say two hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. $10.9 million. Oh, he's doing all right then. I mean, he can afford a couple of business class flights then. Yeah. <laughs> one or two. But uh, one of the things they've just done is the revamp of their frequent flyers. Because uh, you have various status of silver, gold, and platinum. And then you've got platinum, one above that. They have lifetime gold. If you fly with Qantas enough, your status credits accumulate over the entire time you've been flying with them. And... I can't remember the exact number, but there's a rather large number of thousands of status credits that you get to. You then have lifetime gold status. So even if you never fly with them again, every other time you fly, you will be a gold member, uh, okay. to use the movie phrase. But uh, So you'll be gold rated, which means you get lounge access extra, um, uh, luggage priority boarding, uh, all this kind of stuff. They've now introduced platinum for life, but you have to have 75,000 status credits. Wow. So even for people who are going to Europe a couple of times and the US a couple of times a year, that's pretty much 11 to 15 years of travel. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, so you have, status to, you have to earn it, certainly. <laughs> oh, usually. I've got friends who are platinum ones who have been platinum one for quite a while, like elite super top they're doing a lot of first and business class travel around the world all the time and one of them said oh, i think another five years i'll get lifetime platinum <laughs> he's been doing this for ages, oh, for ages so there's yeah. a lot of stuff yeah you look you look at the um, frequent flyer websites and all that and yeah. um Australian business traveler and all that. There's people go, oh, I'm never going to get it. Or, oh, gee, one more year and I might get it, but I've only been doing it for 50. Yes, <laughs> and indeed, all this yeah, kind of absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Armando, have you, um, have you ever flown with, with Qantas? No. I, to me, Qantas has always been this exotic airline that I've, that I've <laughs> dreamt of. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I mean, it's really, it's like the one airline that's just always been there and their yeah. livery hasn't changed that much and great safety record. Yeah. So I love Grant's uh, insider knowledge. Uh, <laughs> but to me, it's basically I hold Qantas up on the yes. pedestal while yes, everyone oh, else yes. aspiring to be. Yeah. <laughs> I get some stories from people flying Qantas and they're like, yeah, not that brilliant or things like that. But um, yeah, look, uh, they're well worth trying. Uh, I've flown them on a number of times. Uh, haven't done an international with them since uh, Kit, Nicola, and I went to Hawaii ages ago. Oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my then brother-in-law was actually uh, cr cabin crew on the flight coming mm. back. So we were up towards the front of economy and we're just sitting there and suddenly, boom, on the tray table in front of me is a bottle of champagne and a couple of glasses, you know, and all wow. this kind of stuff. As you I like Actually, I must, I must admit, you, you uh, say that there's two places on my bucket list now because uh, I had three places in the States that I was desperate to go to. Uh, I've done one of them now because New York was on the bucket list I was desperate to go to there and I was very lucky that I got to spend a week there when obviously uh, in, with my previous job. Um, and... Um, but believe it or not, Charlotte is obviously on my bucket list now, mainly yeah. because there are now two very <laughs> awesome people who live there, so no better reason to go. But the, the other one is, is on the bucket list is Hawaii, because again, like oh, like yeah. like Armando was saying, with this sort of you know whole Qantas in in its sort of like ah type sort of thing. But Hawaii, you, you know, you just dream of sitting on a beach in Hawaii, don't you? Mm. I, I do anyway. That's that's one of those things. It's, well, yeah, even if I do it for one day, I don't care. It's just I just want to know that I've been you know drunk a pina colada or 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 a Long Island tea, iced tea, or whatever it is, you know, on the beach in Hawaii. That that's that's the bucket list. Well, we Kit and I were actually planning to go to Oshkosh via Hawaii. Oh. Uh, I was going to drop her off. We have got friends who live on the big wait, island. Wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Are you going to Oshkosh this year? Maybe it's oh. not a hundred percent, but it's about ninety-seven percent at the moment. Um, oh yeah, I love how it feels like. It Beast feels like you planned it correctly because <laughs> you just said you're going to drop your wife off in Hawaii. So yeah. I can imagine this conversation taking place at home where it's like, okay, listen, the end of July, we're going to go to the U.S. Just where in the U.S.? <laughs> no, we've got, we got friends. Uh, I've known a couple of them for a very long time, so like since the 90s when I was living in Boston. They've now got a house at the north end of the Big Island. And Kit and I love Big Island. It's our favorite place in Hawaii. It's it's really laid back. It's not overly touristy. It's not yeah. um, plasticky. It, it's just so cool. And so the game plan was get to Honolulu, maybe a couple of days there, go to Kona, dr drive a car around to the north end of the island and um, hang out with the friends, then leave her there while I go off and be stupid with aircraft. Yes. Uh, okay. and, uh, yeah, priorities. Um, <laughs> so she was actually... Yeah, that's that's her idea of a great time is just yeah, to lounge absolutely. around. Yeah, get rid of get rid of me. you for three days. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, now look here, Grant. But, I'm going to have a very stern word with you now here, right? Because if you are going to Oshkosh, we will have none of this leading our lovely Armando astray. All right? Because I've been to Rome with you, and I know what you're like. So, <laughs> be a good boy. <laughs> I, I'm a, I am a good boy. I'm good at getting well, into trouble. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have my bride with me, though. So. Uh, uh, Oh, well, that's all right. well, yeah, that's not going to stop it. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, my whole plans, my plans to go to Hawaii, we've had to kibosh it because Kit's been looking at her health over the last couple of months. Oh, okay. She said even on business lie flat, 10 or 12 hours in a plane is not going to work for her. So uh, we've actually had to cancel. Uh, she's not doing any international flying for the next probably oh. 6 to 12 months. 
while we get a few things sorted. So, yeah, the cunning plans to go to Aitutaki in the Cook Islands or to Hawaii or things like that are all on hold for now, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. Oh. And I'm still allowed to go to Oshkosh, so... Winning. Oh, winning. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> right. Well okay, done. good. I mean, you know, that's that's that, <laughs> yes, that's kind of exciting, and now I feel bad so, somehow all at once. So, to, so back to the story. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that. Oh, what what, what story? What were we talking about? Qantas, yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. Do you know know what my favourite part of the whole Qantas experience was, Grant? Flying on the 380 with a cookie bar at the back of the aircraft. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. A a what now? Yeah. Qantas have a help yourself cookie bar at the back of the 380, where the stairs are at the back. And you just help yourself. Biscuit bar, cookie bar, whatever you want to call it. It's... uh, yeah, I don't know if it's got Tim Tams because you know they'd disappear in the first thirty seconds after the seatbelt sign went off. But um, it's right. got a, it's got a lot of nibbles and, yeah. and and things like that. It's it's not quite like the lounge. Uh, the uh, yeah, I was just on an Etihad A three eighty in business and coming back, and there was the lounge between business and first, where you can come and slum it if you're first, or step up if you're business. And uh, yeah, it's it, that was just a round sort of talking pit kind of thing. But uh, yeah, this one you you can go back and get your own nibbles and things like that. It's kind of cool. So we're going to say a, a quick good morning to uh, Dr. Steph, who's joined us in the chat room, and also uh, Dave Abbey uh, in Chicago. Good oh, morning wow. to you. So uh, early, early to rise. Yeah. So moving absolutely. on to yeah. the yeah. next Armando story. Armando not being the only crazy person at this time of, the, the time of day in the States. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> shall we do some more we stories? Have, we have been we... talking about comfort seats and business class and stuff like that on the show, haven't we? So this story is on Mashable.com, and uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy flying on this particular airline. But anyway, the headline airline to soon make budget flyers stand. Have you had a story like this before? Is it, are you sure this you, is, is this not supposed to be my story? There, is this a Ryanair story? On a flight. <laughs> and uh, so it says here, the story goes, we have all complained enough about travelling in crowded trains and buses without managing to find a seat. Imagine this discomfort is usually the USP of a flight. No, we're not making this up. Standing seats apparently exist and an airline is soon going to introduce them for passengers travelling on a budget. Last year, a company called German Avio Interiors had introduced the Sky Rider 2.0 at the Interior Expo held in Hamburg. They had a rather capitalist version in mind to maximise revenue by squeezing in more people on their flights. The result? They created this unbelievable uh, 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 seating with uh, vertical seats where passengers have to practically stand on a flight in a particular position. These seats will be part of their newer version of the airline Skyrider 3.0 Ultra Basic Economy Class seat. This sounds fancier than it actually is. So uh, the seat, Matt has put one on the screen there. For those of you watching the live YouTube stream, you see the seats there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The uh, engineering advisors at Avio Interiors think of it as a multi-class configuration allowing them to reach the maximum passenger load, which is nowadays hard to achieve. The company has also comp- uh, compared seating on the Skyrider as comfortable as riding a horse for hours. Hmm. Now, there will be a standard, there will be a standard that's comfortable. premium economy and business class in the same cabin of the flight. Heights of cost-cutting. The seating, uh, standing seats uh, news reached Twitter with uh, all Twitter. Uh, li- yeah, I mean, yeah, really there's no need to go through all that. Let's, let's put it this way. They're, they're not no. complimentary about the idea. I mean, ca- I'm going to be, a, you know me. I These like, are real. These I, are actually I don't know, real, man. You know me, I like to be a little controversial. No, oh, 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 demo. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, no, this is it. This, I, I, I like to be a little controversial, as you know. Um, whenever I get on a bus, because I always find the seats uncomfortable, usually because there isn't enough room for my legs or, or anything like that, I quite often, if I'm in a vehicle where I'm allowed to stand, I will quite often stand the only thing that i find uncomfortable when i'm doing obviously we're only talking short haul here so we're we're (laughs) talking you know you know let's say ryanair to brindisi it was only what sort of like four hour flight or something like that no it wasn't even that it was like a couple of hours um and it wasn't particularly comfortable because you know i do struggle like you know i can get my knees behind the seat but there's no room to do it to put your feet anywhere or etc i would almost rather stand if there was a safe way of doing it that you know could deal with the fact that if you got turbulence you weren't going to essentially knock yourself out or or stuff like that i would much rather stand on a short haul flight than i would sit these just to me these are like Bike seats. Well, I don't know with what they are. Tall backs. <laughs> these, I mean, these I are. mean, I, I've seen well, I've seen okay. seats that look vaguely like that, but they're not in the sort of magazine we can talk about on here. <laughs> that was suspended. Well. There was, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, moving on. Here's, here's the thing: seats, seats have to seats have to uh, be supportive. In a, what is it, 10, 15 G, there's this, the crash test thing. And right. yeah, yeah, you were going there, weren't you, Armando? Yeah, exactly. Was, it's like, yeah. and that's been the big thing. They've to introduce these all the bloody time. And every time they bring them up, you know, and O'Leary goes, oh, yes, we can make more money. And everyone yes, gets yes. all excited from the bean counters and all the rest of us go, you're fracking kidding. What winds up happening? But somebody turns around and says, okay, but you're not going to be allowed to certify them because they can't, with- somebody in that position cannot withstand a 15 G crash which is part of the certification requirements for any seat in an airliner. It's not just about how many people can you get in to get, you know, it's certified for 300 people to get out in this amount of time. But if you've got first and business and economy, you can't get any more than 240. Well, now with this, you can get it up to 260 because you've got some standing people down the back, blah, blah, blah. But if there's a crash, I mean, look at, look at Asiana. Flew the thing into the ground, a beautiful 777 in great condition, got flown straight and smacked into the ground. Mm. Everyone except two people survived because all their seats were designed to survive that kind of impact. Imagine being in one of these standing seats when you hit the ground like that. Bye. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I know. I, I guess I'm just, I'm just looking at it from a layman's point of view in the fact that quite often what I do is get up and wander around. Do you know what I mean? Just because I do get sort of, you know, and I know a lot of it's my own fault because I'm a larger guy and all that kind of thing. I, I, know, the, I know that, but it, sometimes it is just more comfortable for me to get up and wander. You know, it take a very long time to go to the toilet and come back, you know, just what, because it's nice to sort of What walk do you think, around. Armando? Uh, everything that that you guys are saying. Plus, I don't know how you're gonna uh, safely put a child in this. I don't know yeah. how you're gonna put yeah, a car yeah, yeah. seat in this. I don't know how you're gonna put under seat storage for all those people that like to bring all their things. So, <laughs> I, I see probably some other application to this. Maybe a military application, or who knows? But probably will not see this on any commercial airliner anytime soon <laughs> there's they're saying in the chat room here richard asms especially saying it's like you know it's a seat without you know it's like riding a horse without a saddle that is and you'd certainly get a lump in your throat yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i feel like their yeah, marketing yeah. department should come up with a better analogy yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no absolutely. i think i think what we need to do is put the designers on this chair in that chair for five hours 
on an A321 XLR where they can't really get to the toilet because they've got shop the carts, the trolleys going through, and then put them through a bit of turbulence, then give them a bloody heavy landing yeah. and see how they like it. Because I'm looking at the way that's designed. One good solid landing. Well, guys, you're not going to be very happy about it. No, you're going to have uh, knees you know. going and all sorts. Yeah, well, it's not just the knees. It's it's like, yeah, it's, it's almost like, yeah, imagine being on a push bike saddle that's gone mm. over a cliff, you know, thump I mean, onto the ground. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I, on some of the public buses that are available here in the Pouquet, when you're bouncing along along those, I mean, the roads are horrendous uh, as well. So you oh, come you come like that with a, a vehicle that who which you know of which the air suspension is either not working or hasn't been. You're at its best for a significant period of time, and whilst you're holding on to that, you know, rail or your hangy ball thing that you're trying to sort of like work your way, I mean, the the, the you know, the chances of surviving that without uh, either knocking yourself, I mean, it's I don't suppose it's a million miles away from turbulence going up and down a British road in one of these things. <laughs> so you know, I don't. Know. We're not going to see these anytime. No, no. Okay, no. fair enough. If you say so. God, I hope not. So <laughs> yeah, moving yeah. on to the next story, and uh, Matt, it's uh, on uh, one of the greatest publications here in the UK, this oh, uh, particular dear. story. <laughs> right, okay. Yes, brace oh, it's Elle's favourite publication, that's uh, sure. It is. Uh, no, that's the star, mate. Uh, very close, though. The uh, the Sun. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is actually quite so quite worrying news yeah, for anyone who's booked to uh, go And with an summer. airline which uh, uh, you sort of really escapes the headlines a little mm. bit, really, with stuff like that. Anyway, strikes again. Brits Summer. This is on the Sun newspaper, the sun.co.uk. Uh, strikes again. Brits Summer holiday plans could be ruined as staff for British Airways and EasyJet to vote on strike action so Brits could face travel chaos this summer this summer if flying with British Airways or EasyJet as staff working for both airlines are voting on strike action. Ooh. BA pilots and EasyJet check-in staff at Stansted have warned that uh, the strikes could cause disruption this summer for passengers if they go ahead. Uh, British Airways passengers could be hit by a strike from pilots, crew and ground staff due to a disagreement over pay. The British Airlines Pilots Association, BALPA, uh, Unite and the GMB Trade Union have joined forces against the airline after talks collapsed following the dispute. British Airways offered 11.5% increase over three years, which is above inflation, uh, which they have rejected. According to the Times, the three unions combined represent 40,000 British Airways staff, potentially crippling flights, uh, although Unite and GMB have yet to vote on the strike. BALPA, the, gen the BALPA General Secretary Brian Strutton told Sun Online Travel all three unions have been working uh, for the benefit of their respective members given we collectively represent some 40,000 employees this is something that British Airways should pay careful attention to Ooh, that's a threat if ever I heard one isn't it for, for the pilots at Balpa that uh, Balpa represents it's quite simple BA has been enormously profitable and the employees should have a fair share of that success which after all they produce for the company a Unite spokesperson added Unite reps will be having further discussions with BA and meeting in the uh, uh, coming days to discuss their next steps. These steps could include a consultative ballot um, on any reviews, uh, any revised pay offer or a ballot for industrial action. With the vote to strike uh, starting next week on the 26th of June and closing on July 22nd, it could result in a full walkout affecting Brits, 
during the busy school summer holidays. A British Airways spokesman told The Sun tra Online Travel, we are extremely disappointed that the pilots union BALPA has raised the prospect of a ballot for industrial action. We urge them to join us for mediation with the consolidate the consolation Anyway, ACAS, uh, to, to reach an agreement and protect hard-working families uh, planning their summer breaks. We believe our pay and benefits for pilots are among the best in the industry with around 1,000 applicants from pilots who want to move from us uh, to us from other airlines. I mean, I, I won't go on. I mean, you basically get the, the gist of it, this it's story. Not, it's not I good mean, if, if you have got a summer holiday book this summer. It's so, so, I mean, it's, it's genuinely now, I mean, because... I, I don't know. Do we do we do we miss a time perhaps when airlines were owned by like just a company and there weren't you know a big pile of of shareholders if you like that you've got to try and keep happy. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, 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 it's a very volatile industry. I'll, I'll give them that. So in some respects, I understand why BA are trying to sort of keep as much money in the pot as possible because obviously i know eventually for example this whole rolls royce issue with the with is it the trent 1000 whichever engine it was where where you've got i mean everyone's been affected by it, isn't it? you've got but you've got mm. uh, ba you've got uh, virgin etc yeah. but obviously although i dare say when it all comes out in the wash obviously you know it'll be rolls royce that that, that pay the the bill for this mess but you know pe people like ba in the meantime have got to you know fill that gap either by leasing other aircraft or getting other airlines to cover their their work and things like that so i i do understand to a degree why an airline might want to sort of stockpile a bit but um you know really if they are making a profit you you know you should at least be able to you know ring fence a, a, a pocket of that if you like to to reward your staff better i mean you know well, i not employee wage share, you know profit share schemes oh it's sad isn't so i know i know <laughs> i know i mean again is that just too sensible is that is that where i'm going right wrong? yeah you know i think this is something we're going to see in every industry but the these these kinds of uh labor disputes in the airline industry have gone back you know i remember listening to apg um talk uh nigel was talking about uh cathay pacific mm. um you know and they're yeah. back in the 80s they were they were going through their dispute and I, I you know my dad was an airline pilot my brother is an airline pilot and they've gone through so many um you know labor discussions and contract negotiations that it's yeah, i'd say eight out of ten times it turns out okay but um you know, with this story, I believe both Ryanair and British Airways are covered under the EU laws. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, you, if, if your flights do get canceled, you I see the compensation rates here at the bottom of the article between 229 and 530 pounds. But yeah, like we've said a, a thousand times on this show is if you're going to pay under 50 quid for a plane <laughs> ticket, spend yeah. the extra eight for travel insurance yeah uh, to make oh yeah yeah that's very that's that's very sound advice let's be honest yeah it's mm. uh, yeah. uh which i must i must confess uh was something i didn't do when i booked my flight and um in the lead up to you <laughs> i'm wondering busy shaking his head in horror <laughs> um and i must admit uh, when um i think in the lead up to it, i think uh, there were there were some italian air traffic control strikes also uh in the offing as i was then flying out to um to Brindisi, and I'm just thinking, don't 
this could be a bit of a problem. <laughs> and I, fortunately, it wasn't, and it was either, sort of, you know, it, it didn't go ahead or whatever. But actually, then I, I did think, you know what, when they did offer me the £8, you know, it was only eight quid, which, you know, on a flight, admittedly, because it was all a bit short notice, um, I think the return flight uh, was 130 quid, which, to be honest, is still not bad mm. to go to Brindisi and back from Stansted. You know, as you say, for the sake of another £8, just for that little bit of peace of mind to, you know, to sort of help you either get out there or get home, uh, you know, post, uh, you know, to guarantee, well, not guarantee, because I don't suppose you can guarantee, but, you know, to make life a bit easier for I, you. I never bother with insurance in when I fly to Malta. Right. Well, if I get stuck there... <laughs> I know, oh, well. but, yeah, but, but nobody ever goes on strike about going to Malta. They pick the places everyone wants to go and where there's most people oh, going. Hey, McCarran. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Saucer of milk, four tables. Five, please. Okay. Thank I'm you. Gonna, I'm going to reach through the camera and yeah, grab yeah. it. Yeah, we're going to move on today before a cat fight. <laughs> well, just, uh, just, just one thing on this that is actually nothing to do with Malta, but uh, I'm sorry, Carlos. But, uh, <laughs> much love, much love. Don't forget, the airlines are facing uh, fuel prices yeah. uh, in flux at the moment. Uh, demand for, for fuel and oil, demand for oil in general was going down. Prices were starting to look like they were going to come down. And then this stuff happened that we were talking about at the start at, yeah. at Hormuz, the Straits of Hormuz area. And that's put the prices back up again. So you've got that. You've also got uh, like airlines in general are noticing that their loads are coming off the boil. They're not getting as many passengers as they once might have. Uh, so they're seeing that demand for travel is dropping. You've also got this whole thing going on starting over in Europe about, you know, don't fly. Why are you flying? And uh, flight shaming, I think they're calling it. So, you know, the airlines are looking at all this stuff going, yeah, we're making hay right now. The sun is shining. But guess what? The rain's about to hit. Yeah. So there's that factor I, I, as well. I, I completely agree with you. I do completely agree agree with you there. And that's, that's why I was saying, you know, in my little piece at the... At the at the top there it's like i i'm i'm i understand that an airline needs to sort of ring fence a certain amount of uh, of money if you like to ensure um their own future i i get that because obviously if they went under then nobody's got a job it doesn't matter how well you were paid yeah. beforehand i mean you i, I use monarch uh, as an example i mean you know what appeared to be a very profitable airline suddenly collapses you know within a couple of years you know great benefits and everything for for people involved and then it all just falls apart you know, so I, I get that there has mm -hmm. to be some careful money management, as you say, and the fuel price is so insanely volatile. And it's not just aviation, you know, obviously the industry that I work in where, where they're, you know, dealing with large, you know, volumes of diesel. I mean, my, my, <laughs> I, I said it before and I said it again. I mean, I doff my cap to my boss because she must have so many, uh, excuse the, the pun, balls in the air, if you like, trying to sort of, you know, either get the best price on this and, and what, I mean it's just it's a minefield as soon as you put that incredibly volatile variable that is fuel um, it, it's it's impossible to judge isn't it but anyway we, we really should uh, move on to the next story I Armando. think this will be Armando yeah yeah, yeah this is from simpleflying.com and it's about Turkish airline having revealed its new Boeing 787 Dreamliner interior the Turkish Carrier announced the new interior in a series of tweets posted this week. Uh, at the start of the year, the airline announced its new business class seat. Hopefully, it's not those earlier ones that we saw. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> After media speculation following a newspaper leak. Then in April, the airline announced its first flight for the Boeing 787 Dreamliners it ordered in 2017. Let's see. Turkish Airlines will break the aircraft in by using a domestic route. 
later in the year, there are then plans to fly a Mexican triangle with the aircraft. Uh, so you must be thinking, show us the interior, which map is right there. Um, Turkish Airlines began the proceedings with a teaser image of the rear business bulkhead featuring the airline's logo in a gleaming bronze color. Let's see. The airline showed off what passenger would see standing in the port aisle. Um, boy, this, is a, this is a great article. Let's, let's get to the, to the meat of it. Uh, okay. Economy configuration is 333 uh, in contrast to the business 121 layout. Um, they have a couple interior videos. Uh, let's see. They'll launch their 787 aircraft on the 8th of July. Uh, it'll be deployed twice daily on a local one-hour and 10-minute route. That's a big airplane to use for an hour route. Uh, between the cities of Istanbul and Antalya. Um, it's got the flight numbers here. If you're interested, go over to Simple Flying. And yeah, it goes on to contrast a little bit with uh, April 2020, where the airline will begin services using a new Airbus A350 ah, from cool. London Actually, to Dubai. You're saying about that uh, London to Dubai. Oh, that's cool. Do you that, not think that, that, do you that, not think that's very controversial? Actually, that's that's going to put a few noses out of joint, I reckon. Do you not think, Matt? <laughs> they've gone for quite a corporate look to their. To very much. Well, I mean, I get I get that in business, obviously. Very, very black. Be, um, Everything's very black. Business, business like in. Uh, but in even there, but, I mean, but you were saying a sort of like uh, quite a short route, uh, Armando, to put such a bit, you know, big aircraft on. I know of one airline that it's a thirty-five minute flight, and and it's an A three eighty or is either yeah, it was an A three eighty that they use for for that tiny flight. Um, so you know, I, I guess it, it, you know if there's enough people, and I think that that route is like happening like three or four times a day, something like that. So I suppose if it is a very popular commute, then it makes sense to sort of you know put a put a beast on it. If you're going to fill it at the end of the day, I, I suppose it's all about bums on seats, isn't it? Well, we we have the A330 that Qantas flies uh, between Melbourne and Sydney uh, because that's one of the most popular, well, busiest routes in the world. I think it's the third busiest. So they'll fly an A330, so does uh, Virgin, uh, at peak times. Otherwise, it's 737s back and forth. But uh, if you've got the load, put a bigger aircraft on. Well, yeah, Exactly. This this is true. I I must admit I just had a quick glance at the chat room while we were doing this, and uh, the the legend that is Doctor Stephanie Plum, uh, Plumber, sorry, is uh, about to make us all feel very uh, old, fat, and tired by going for a run. But the good news is she's going to listen to us while she's going for a run. What's she's going for a run in Chicago at four thirty in the morning? So I <sighs> maybe I'll text her and be like, hey, let me know when you're back to your hotel because. <laughs> Chicago at four thirty. Ooh, we know it's it's yeah. called the uh, was it the Mugger Dodge? Oh, lovely! Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> oh, this, this is comforting. Right, lovely. Well, in that case, Doctor Steph, please, please, please take extreme care. Maybe take some kind of blunt instrument with you as well. Uh, so moving swiftly on. <laughs> ah, this is to, uh, this is horrible. Gosh, I'm now horrified. Just listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm now horrified. tells me that Stephanie has some ninja skills. That oh, I don't doubt that for a minute. Over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a brave and or foolish person uh, <laughs> yeah. that that takes her on yes. without. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, she's in the suburbs. Apparently, Appar does that help if she's in the suburbs? No. <laughs> Uh, I think so. Ones. <laughs> you know, she's probably got a little stash of needles or something that she could probably just like a like a action Dance. movie. <laughs> right, good. Okay, and on that bombshell, uh, uh, good luck, Doctor Steph. We'll we'll uh, let us know how you get on, please. Uh, next story will be with Grant. I think Grant, yes. 
Oh, go me. Yes, of course. It's naturally with me. Just as uh, Matt is always Mr. Ryanair, it seems that I'm Mr. Qantas today. What a so, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, you, you have li- you've listened to the show before, mate. I don't know why you're in any way surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. And that, at mate. some point, no that. doubt, during the story, uh, d- during uh, the the show today, we will ask the question: How do we say cutter, cutter, cutter? You know, I mean, that, that's just what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're talking about cutter very shortly. But anyhow, um, <clears throat> on we go. Qantas is hiring cabin crew on casual hours for domestic flights from Perth, Melbourne, and Adelaide. That's what those three letter codes mean, by the way. Uh-huh. So here's a really interesting opportunity for cabin crew candidates based in either Perth, Melbourne or Adelaide. Qantas is currently recruiting cabin crew on casual hour contracts, or rather MAM Aviation Support Services are recruiting the cabin crew. Uh, That'll be on behalf of Qantas, but applications have to be submitted via the official Qantas recruitment website and successful candidates will only work on Qantas operated domestic flights. What makes this opportunity so interesting is that cabin crew employed by MAM don't have a guaranteed set number of hours they work each month. They don't get paid when on holiday or off sick, and they don't get any of the usual benefits that directly employed cabin crew enjoy, like staff travel. So what do they get? Money is a simple answer. By accepting the risks of working on a casual hours contract, MAM and Qantas are willing to pay these staff a lot more money than directly employed employed crew. When times are good, You'll work nearly as many, if not as many hours uh, as full-time cabin crew, but your take-home pay will be much better. Yes, welcome to the modern world of casuals. I mean, it goes on a little bit down through here. Must be either a permanent resident of Australia or a New Zealand citizen, at least 18 years old, uh, height of between 163 and 183 centimetres, fit, healthy, ability to swim at least 50 metres, and tread water for three minutes. That's literally me completely uh, out then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I remember when my sister used to have to do all this when she was flying with Qantas and before that the original um, domestic Australian Airlines that was merged with Qantas uh, yeah she said uh, these were all part of the thing you had to tread water and, and swim and all this kind of stuff it was all part of the uh, the training but yeah look this is amazing um, this is is like yeah go casual no security we can turn you on and off at any time. <laughs> you know, we don't have to. We don't have to pay you if you're not flying. Because, like most of the other uh, flight attendants, they'll they'll get a, a, pay, a pay amount per month plus yeah. more per flight hour, similar to many pilots do. Yeah. Uh, and you've also got sick leave, holiday pay, um, minimum amounts of flying. You know, all this kind of stuff. In the casual world, all out the window. None of that stuff matters. Uh, what's now happening is that you are just a resource that, oh, look, we need extra people. No, we don't. And it's at your risk. And it sounds great, but there's a lot of people in Australia, and I suspect in the US and other parts and probably the UK, uh, that are technically counted as employed because they have work. Yeah. But it's a new figure that they, because they changed. I think it was about 15, 20 years ago. They changed the way unemployment was defined. If you had casual work of, say, three or four hours a week, Regardless of the fact that you wanted lots more, you were employed. Yeah. So now they've got all, and they're only just starting. I've noticed here in Australia, they're just starting to talk about the people who are employed but want more employment. Yeah. And um, yeah. There so is, there, I, I, I mean, to, to me, this sounds very much like essentially the aviation equivalent of the whole Uber thing. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, a big uh, sort of. Uh, and the same for like courier drivers, like drivers who are you know delivering parcels and things like that, where they're that where technically they're classed as self-employed, but they can't work for anyone 
else other than you know the courier company that that, that they've been working for and they've been checkout s- people um shop assistants and most of those are on casual yeah. retail they're yeah. all on. I, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, or zero hour contracts, as you say, like which is, I think, our equivalent, isn't it? They call them zero hour contracts here. Um, but they're having some interesting test cases uh, where, uh, you know, in a court of law, if you like, they've been able to successfully prove that because they can only work for that particular outfit as a courier therefore they they have to be entitled to things like holiday pay and and all that kind of thing mm. or you can you know you can opt out of it but you know essentially that's offered to you by default but then you you say i mean i don't think it will be long essentially if they do go down you know big time down this route before you you have a similar situation of, of sort of test uh, cases where they're they're trying to find out you know mm. to sort of test the water well, a bit well, this you're being you're being hired as a as a, a casual employee. You aren't being told you can't fly for any or do anything else. So you can be a casual employee, and you could be a casual employee at Kmart, um, you know, and you can be one at at Qantas. So that if Qantas isn't flying and you got some time, you can go and pick up some extra shift somewhere. They're, yeah. they're not locking you down. Right. But it gives what it does is effectively it gives Qantas access to a whole lot of people who are trained. Yeah. Uh, be interesting to see if they get paid during training, but trained ready to go just keep them fresh keep them re- reasonably current and oh we've got massive surge demand or people always say yeah. bring in the casuals yeah absolutely and and of course at the end of the day if, it, if you don't feel con- comfortable with that sort of contract you don't have to do it i suppose i mean Correct. some people are just desperate you know i mean i know several people who are desperate to work in in aviation in any way they'll do anything if, <laughs> you know, if they were able to <laughs> yeah. you know so it, it's one of those i mean I, it's uh, i mean hey obviously armando you're uh, sort of beginning to dabble uh, in this particular area i suppose now that you've you've sort of retired from the military i mean what i mean you don't want a zero hour contract do you yeah, I'm I'm very much learning about this world. Um, for me, it's a little bit different because I already have a retirement income coming in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think there's there's folks that are in positions. I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to be a part time uh, flight attendant, be cabin crew, and and go travel, especially some of the destinations that uh, Qantas goes to. But uh, yeah, this is uh, certainly one of those things that. Um, you, you would need to do some financial yeah. planning. Before You'd have to be very sure of your situation. Yeah. You? yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carlos, I think we should move on, I think. Yeah, next story is on uh, one of Nev's favorite websites, Flight Global. Ooh, has a nice font. He likes the font, yes. And the uh, headline is Paris, the air show. Obviously, the air shows uh, come to an end in Paris uh, with over 240 A321 XLR commitments. Uh, the new Airbus leadership team kicked off its first Paris air show with the launch of the long-range A321XLR twin jet, which has ended the week backed by orders and commitments for over 240 aircraft. During the Paris show week, Airbus announced 10 customers for its new variant uh, who have placed orders and commitments for a total of 243 aircraft through a mix of new contracts and the conversion of existing orders. Uh, Lisa Air Lease ALC was the first to order the A321XLR, signing for 27 aircraft on the opening day of the show. Two other customers, IAG and Indigo Partners, have ordered uh, aircraft for allocation to their airline divisions. Uh, the IAG deal comprises of 14 firm orders and 14 options. Six of the firm orders are allocated to Aer Lingus and eight to Iberia. 
Uh, Indigo's order for 50 XLRs is being allocated to three airlines in which it invests. Uh, 18 for Frontier in the USA, 12 for JetSmart in Chile, and 20 for European carrier Wizz Air. Uh, Airbus declines to be specific on the overall size of the market for its uh, new extended range aircraft, although Chief Commercial Officer Christian Schrader says that he expects there will be hundreds of A321 XLRs sold. The XLR launch is seen uh, as a tactical move by Airbus to disrupt Boeing's plans for an all-new 220-270 to 270 seat uh, dubbed the new Mid-Market Airplane, or NMA. It should be uh, obvious that part of Airbus's strategy here is to borderline that potential new aircraft from Boeing, said ALC Chief Executive John Pluger when announcing the Lesser's uh, launch order. It does provide a very effective airplane for a lot of same routes that uh, NMA would be targeted for, but it does also uh, for many years earlier. And the list with Matt popped up on the screen there, uh, which you can see, uh, we've got uh, some of the airlines you may you may know: JetBlue, uh, 13 of these, uh, Qantas Group, 36, uh, Saudia has also got 15 of these. Um, do you know what I think? The, the 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 most surprising thing in this is is a sort of shine, sign of the times here is the air lease element to it. You know, it's uh, you know, twenty seven of those have been been sort of. I presume that's for various companies like um, yeah, they just lease them out yeah, to yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, if you uh, come over to my feed, you'll see. Um, I was looking up what air lease. Um, there you go. Yeah, so I was looking at what companies air lease or, or what their customers are, and it's okay. way more than I thought. So if you look at some of the, the U.S., there's some major carriers in there. You got Southwest, American, United, uh, Air Canada is in there, Aero Mexico is in there, and then look over in Europe, Scandinavia. probably some of the the most well-known yeah. carriers. Yeah. yeah. Not uncommon for an airline to maybe own a few of their own aircraft, but also lease a number of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it comes under that different you know, monthly current budget under the capital account. Yeah. But the benefit of a leased one is uh, end of the lease, you can give it back. Not my problem yeah. anymore. And if it goes tech, then it's down to them, not you, essentially. <laughs> well, it, depend, it depends on whether you're doing a full wet lease, which is yeah. where the air, you've got the whole aircraft crew, fuel, all that is just on a pay, fly by the hour versus a dry lease where you have the aircraft, but then it's your problem to schedule it, put people on, uh, fuel it, etc. That's scary. Um, uh, that was that was cheeky video editing there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And so I just tried, you know, so obviously yeah, I tried to disguise the fact that Armando had to switch modes, if you like, between, you know. But anyway, there we are. So, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, it, does make, it does make, you... cease, uh, make sense to lease. So it's like when you, when you lease or hire or lease a car, you know, if it, if it if the engine blows up in two minutes' time, then yeah. you just take a bag and get another one. Yeah, I know, but if you do put if you do so much as sneeze on the car and put any kind of vague dent mm. on it, then it'll cost you a small fortune, probably more than it would have cost That's you. That's why we have insurance. Yeah, well, well there is that. Yeah. But it's, okay. it's like the whole power by the hour thing, right? It's um, I'm going to be operating these aircraft uh, you know, 14 hours a day, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is, based around your maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you know that you're just paying X amount per hour. Bang. 
done. That's yeah, it. True, true. And, and, and from a company point of view, it's a, a very w- easy way to budget and finance and, and all that kind of thing, isn't it? You you know theoretically, yes. It, you know, <laughs> in theory, you know exactly how much it's going to cost you uh, each month to have that aircraft in the air. Mm. Um, and you know, depending on what's found during inspections, etc., that's going to be slightly more challenging yeah. to achieve with um, with an aircraft you own yourself. Anyway, we're going to move on because we are rapidly sticking with Flight Global Matt. through our time. Yeah, sticking with the nice font website, a Flight Global, as Carlos says, Spirit Airlines has launched a Las Vegas Airport's first Tech automated self-service bag drop system as the ultra-low-cost carrier, ultra-low-cost, wow, marks a network expansion from the Sin City today. The new bag drop system will help expedite the check-in process for passengers, says Miramar, the Florida-based airline. Spirit already offers self-bag tagging at a majority of its largest cities, and Chief Executive Ted Christie previously said that the airline continues to work on initiatives to speed up the check-in and bag drop process at airports and was testing self-bag drop. Our partnership with McCarran, no relation, uh, International Airport to uh, install... (laughs) <laughs> to install the first automated self-service bag drop uh, system in Las Vegas is a clear message that we are thinking about every face uh, facet of our guest experience with innovative and forward-thinking solutions to elevate our service, says Spirit Vice President of Airport Services, Mike Byram. Uh, the airport indicates that Spirit's self-service bag drop is the beginning of such innovations at Las Vegas. As a 100% common-use airport, we have a long history of introducing new customer-focused technologies geared towards enhancing the passenger experience. Yeah, nothing to do with people losing their jobs. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, anyway, so, 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 steady on there. Yes, you should get that looked at. Uh, says Rosemary, uh, who is the Director of Aviation for Nevada's Clark County. We look forward to this rollout with Spirit and to expanding this service to more areas of our operation in the near future. Las Vegas is Spirit's second largest city in terms of capacity after its base at Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Sirium schedules data show. Uh, the air pa- the airline launched new non-stop service from Burbank and Sacramento today, increasing its daily departures to 55 flights serving 29 cities. In October, it will link Las Vegas with Nashville. Spirit's says its Las Vegas capacity will have grown by almost 50% uh, as of July, which is an impressive number. I suppose it's inevitable, really, that we're going to start going down this route, isn't it? I mean, you think... You I know, think one I of mean, the nicest You have parts. self-service checkouts I know. now, don't you? I mean, it's, you know, and I, 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 certainly at six o'clock in the morning when I'm buying my sandwiches before I go to work, uh, the, the, the mere thought of interacting with another human being at 6 a.m. is, frankly... Horrendous. I mean, I, can't I, think I enjoy of the whole worse. part of the airport yeah. experiences going to the check-in desk and chatting with. Yeah, but the... that is a, Carlos. Please don't take this the wrong way. But you are essentially one of the biggest, flirtiest human beings <laughs> I've ever met in my entire life. So any opportunity to interact That's with why some I get attractive young female <laughs> is just just you. Frankly, it's, oh. you know, it's, this is the guy who could you know who could even you know sweet talk his way into a cockpit. Oh I yes. mean, honestly, the, oh, the, yes. the, the man has no boundaries. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, it did, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, before, but it uh, is uh, it is essentially this is doing people out of the job. It is, you know, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I suppose in a time when they're trying, you know, I, I don't know. I, yes, yes. It, 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 the long and short of it is they are doing away with people's jobs, and that's not mm. okay. 
Yeah. Mate, there was there was more spin in that article than on a pair of Technics twelve hundred turntables. I tell you, that was <laughs> I was reading that going, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> spin spin <absolutely>. sugar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so horrified throughout most of that, he'd actually muted his microphone. That's how horrified he was throughout yeah. most of that. Yes. Story. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So moving on to the next story, and it's good Boeing news, Armando. Yeah, from The Guardian, uh, BA parent company reveals plans to buy 200737 MAX jets, like we said a little bit earlier. So the parent company of British Airways has announced plans to buy 200737 MAX aircraft, the first new sales deal for the passenger jet since it was grounded because of safety fears. We'll leave all the other stuff out. Uh, the short-haul airplanes would be delivered between 2023-2027, um, shared among IAG's carriers, including Vueling, uh, BA uh, for its flights out of London Gatwick. IAG and Boeing revealed the letter of intent for the huge order at the Paris Air Show in a significant boost to the U.S. manufacturer after its rival Airbus appeared to be stealing a march on, its, uh, on it with big orders and the launch of a competing model. The fleet of airplanes, a mixture of 737 MAX 8 and MAX 10 aircraft, would be valued about 25 billion U.S. or 20 billion pounds, at list price, um, <coughs> yes. <laughs> but IAG said it had secured a substantial discount. I'm sure they did with the Max aircraft right now. Um, the deal would be seen as a crucial vote of confidence in the troubled airplane. Although more than 5,000 have been ordered, the IAG is the first sale of any kind for the 737 Max since it was grounded in March. Um, let's see. It goes a little bit into the mishaps. Uh, we have no hesitation in flying on the airplane, said um, one of the folks, uh, an IG executive interviewed for this article. Um, he is a 737 MAX pilot himself. Um, yeah, it basically goes on. It, it, you know, it dabbles into the um, uh, a little bit of the mishap, but this is, this is great news for Boeing. Um, and it kind of made me wonder a little bit what else was sold at uh, Paris Air Show. So we talked about the XLRs um, with American Airlines and there's some uh, Pacific Airlines that also ordered the XLRs. Uh, Virgin Atlantic signed up for 14 A330neos. Uh, looks like um, Turkish, yeah, we talked a little bit about them. What's that? There wasn't a lot. The uh, realistically, it was the XLR and this and some other stuff, but it, nothing like it's been in the past. Yeah, it seems to be a little slow. China Airlines, Qatar Airways uh, bought five and six, respectively, uh, seven triple seven freighters, and then Embraer sold fifteen jets to KLM. So, but I mean, as a, as a person, you know, as as an airline uh, choosing your aircraft. Given all the hoo-ha that, you know, and I, I feel bad saying this because, um, you know, I'm doing it again essentially. So, that, you know, the, the, the Max um, story, obviously, that's got to make you nervous as an airline about, you know, because Mr. Joe Bloggs flyer is not necessarily going to know the difference between a Max 8 and, and a Boeing aircraft. Do you know what? Can, can you oh, see Max, what I mean? You mean an NG? And a, yeah, a Max, I, I, people yeah. aren't necessarily going to. I mean, would that would that would perhaps are, are you know are orders lower because 
they're thinking, well, let's let's go with Airbus because essentially there haven't been these awful these awful things that have happened. Well, I, I yeah, you know, I'm with you. I don't I don't think the average passenger knows what kind of airplane they're flying on. They're just and... going to see the word Boeing, and and that'll almost be enough for them to be maybe choose another airline or or, or if it's Boeing, I'm not going. Well, well this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is it. But uh, for for those that follow the industry and those in the industry, um, this is a huge move. So so it is a vote of confidence in Boeing, and it is, you know, IAG coming out and saying, no, we know the problems will yeah. be uh, resolved, and we are investing in in the Max mm. product. Yeah, I think that's. And huge. we're also getting a bloody huge discount. Yeah, and this is a letter yeah. of intent. It's a statement of intent. Right. No money's changed hands. Yeah. This is IAG getting a bloody good deal yeah. by saying up, and, and you know, 2023, how long down the road is that? How yeah, many exactly. people have forgotten about this? You know, everyone will have moved on. Who cares? Whatever. Mm. They've gone and gone, hey, mate, give us a good deal. We'll help you look good at Paris because you're getting smeared across the ground yeah. by everyone at Paris. It was yeah. a really bad show for Boeing. Uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, we'll do a letter of intent. We won't give you any money, but we will later. Uh, it's a letter of intent is really easy to break. So you know that like typically you've got list price then you've got real price, which is around 50 to 70% list. Most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, they've got less than 50% list on this yeah. buy. So this was a very canny business move by IAG yeah. to um, help out Boeing, get a good deal, build up some rep with Boeing. So next time they need to get another set of aircraft, they can go, hey, you know, we helped you back at Paris. Yeah. Come on. Nudge, nudge. Give yeah. it, you know, mm. yeah. it's, like, it's like Richard but, Adams says in the chat room. He says, uh, probably a buy one, get one free offer. <laughs> Bog off free. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what bog off means? Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, thought yeah, it was yeah. some British, like, you know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so buy one, get one free. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know either. I was trying to figure it out too. Yeah, bug off. Buy one, buy one, get one free. Buy one, get one free. He said, you buy one, you get one free. Yeah. Okay, so so and if you stump up now, we won't just give you one 737. We'll give you two 737s as well as the original one. Well, yeah. that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway. Um, so moving on to yes, uh, the last uh, part of the commercial segment. And uh, for this week, we've we've not done one of these for a while. And uh, it's a top 10, because oh, we know. do love dun, a top dun, dun. 10. And I know uh, um, Brian Coleman over at the Airplane Geeks, he, oh, he, does, he? he, does, he does love a t- <laughs> love it when we do a top 10. Okay, well, we're just so, going to do top 10, aren't we, for, yeah, so this uh, one as far as this is, story is. So, uh, uh, you, you know, you've got to do it right, got to have the music. Here we go. So this one is on the Evening Standard, and it's the best airline in the world for 2019, as announced by Skytrax. So, Who's in that? top of the top, yeah, 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 that went well, sorry, <laughs> straight in at number 10, please, Carlos. At number 10, it's Thai Airways. Oh, very good. Uh, number Sorry, nine, please, yeah. <laughs> uh, number nine, please, Grant. Uh, that would be Lufthansa, uh, German friends, yeah? Uh, yeah, 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 that's also highly offensive. Moving on to number eight, please. Go on, your best, your best accent, Armando. Come on, Armando, yes. Oh, I wouldn't want to offend my Australians' friends, but it is the <laughs> mythical airline that we hold up on a pedestal, Qantas. Yeah. Truth, mate. It's kangaroo to the tail. Something like that, yeah. Somehow it's not offensive when he does it. Number seven, please, Carlos. It, number seven, it's Heinen Airline. Number six, please, Grant. Eva Air. Uh, number five, please, Armando. That would be Emirates. Number four, please. 
Cathay Pacific. Lovely. Number three. ANA, all Nippon Airways, the only airline that flies a 787-8 in the recommended configuration of only 220 to 240 passengers. Oh, you you. information that is. Uh, <laughs> into. Bumped off the top of the list I this know. year is Singapore Airlines. I know. No. Outrageous. And finally, it's number one. It's the top oh, of our chart. No. It's Qatar <laughs> Airways. Or Qatar. <laughs> or Qatar. <laughs> or Qatar. 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 It's a bit of Qatar, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something you put in a cigarette, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, there, there we go. Actually, uh, we're talking about the. T- the I just say, just a quick one before we finish this story. Just a side note. This is especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially for. Oh, you've you've got this. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's what I was going to say. Actually, one of the things that well, I was I, say, I was I was chatting with uh, our friends earlier. Uh, one of the things that really surprised me about this actually was a to see that British Airways was in the top twenty, but they were also in the top twenty ahead of Virgin Atlantic, which. Weirdly, really surprised me. I, mm. I, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have put Virgin. There is a reason ahead. behind that. Is there? According to the story, it says here that while British Airways failed to nab any awards last year, this year they took home four accolades, including best airline staff in Europe. Okay. Best what, airline, British Airways. Yeah, best airline staff in United Kingdom, most improved airline in Europe, and. Best cabin crew in the United Kingdom. Mm, okay, all right. Mm. I think actually it's worth worth mentioning as well. Uh, Wiz Air got uh, a special mention actually in said uh, uh, top. Uh, I'm not quite sure wh- whereabouts it appeared, but uh, it was it was sort of interesting to see. Uh, I think it was that they were voted the best uh, East European um, airline, mm. uh, which I thought was uh, interesting. So we're rather partial to little Wiz Air. Little whiz. Yes. Not it's going a, there. Not going there. No, not no. Going fam- there. Family show, Grant. Family show. <laughs> Never thought I'd have Must to use maintain. that on our own. On our own. So, you, <laughs> were, you, were you surprised to see Singapore knocked off the top spot, Mr. McCarran? Uh, actually, I've had some friends fly Qatar recently, and they said they are doing very well. So, look, you know, bouncing back and forth between, not hard to be. Uh, I'd be surprised if Singapore was never in the top three or five. Yeah. Uh, they're an incredible airline. Uh, Actually, while I was flying to uh, Rome via Emirates, uh, one of the guys who, using my budget, by the way, I'm flying him there, and he goes to board at Qatar with his business class ticket, and they go, the boarding pass, they said, oh, just a moment, a bit of a problem with your boarding pass. He starts to get a bit worried. They come back, first class, sir, and he got upgraded first on the Melbourne to Doha flight, and then again, on the way back, he got upgraded. So he's been doing a lot of flying with Qantas and... um, uh, I think he's been on Qatar a couple other times in the last couple of years. So between those two, because Qatar and Qantas, Qatar, sorry, do a little bit of stuff together. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I was, I was mortified, most upset. Yeah. And for, um, the, for those of us who can't afford to travel in the same class as Grant McCarran, yeah. uh, <laughs> J- Japan Airlines took the title of the world's best economy class. Wow, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I must admit, I was very surprised to see that Emirates was sort of... Um, like fifth I was quite surprised mm. I, I don't know I, I felt like they should have been sort of top three perhaps well yeah. who's been sucking up to Skytrax I mean you know who's been being nice to oh. Skytrax people who's been buying advertised oh am I saying this there is that rumour who knows it's supposedly based <laughs> on everyone replying is this people who fly all the time you know it'd be interesting to see how airlines are rated by people who fly all the time and what class you know, I'd like to see some more drill down of the numbers and see yeah. which one was the 
how, how all those numbers, because they talked about millions of people, but mm. was that, you know, Joe and Mary going on their one flight every 10 years or was that <laughs> Mike who goes every three weeks, you know? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, should, I should just uh, clarify that the survey was based on uh, respondent numbers of 21.65 million eligible survey entries, uh, survey entries counted in the final results. Uh, I did check the top 100, actually, because I'm nosy like that. Surprisingly, no mention of Ryanair. I was quite shocked. There are 101. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be what it is. I didn't even know there were 100 airlines. That's, that's, that's how badly they did. Uh, you know, but the, the survey was taken while in-flight and Ryanair's in, uh, in-flight Wi-Fi just wasn't quite there. So Right. <laughs> there what now? Yeah, what's one of those? Uh, I, I noticed actually from, from the numbers that the report that I was reading, actually, it was that Emirates has won Best In-Flight Entertainment for, 50, for the 15th year in a row. That doesn't surprise me. Which, yeah. which, is, which is a bit of a shock. Anyway, look, come on, we need to move on. Cause so, we, moving on. <laughs> to, I, I'm uh, de- de- desperate to keep this under two hours. Moving on to the uh, next special <laughs> segment <laughs> on the show. We're, uh, we're going to hand things over to Armando because we've got some special uh, video to run while Armando chats. And we're going to uh, have a chat about the Reno Air Races. So, Armando, yeah. over to you. So, so when, when did this happen, mate? What what was what was occurring? Yeah, so this was uh, last week or two weeks ago, where um, as you guys know, I went out to Reno. So that wasn't actually the Reno Air Races. It was what's called the Pylon Racing Seminar, mm. um, and I've talked about it on on the show. Where for a couple of years, and I think going on four years, I was on the crew for one of the uh, sport class Lancers, um, the number fifty six George Catalano Badingo Air Racing. Um, and I got this, the bug, uh, where it's just the coolest thing. And, uh, yeah, as you can see there, so Matt's playing out a video and it's, it's nothing fancy. It's just a bunch of pictures that I've taken over the last couple of years and some in-flight camera from George. Um, we're going to hear from George in an interview a little bit later on that I, that I did out there while at PRS. And in addition to that, uh, Mr. James Stringer, who is, uh, lives there in the UK, he also races in the Portugal air races he's also going to do an interview with us about his racing career but it it was just really really cool to get back um to reno and then see the background of of how the reno air races happens and and for those people um that are new to air racing so reno air races started back in 1964 um it's a gentleman called bill by the name of bill stead the Stead Airport, where this takes place, is named after him. Um, but there, there's a couple different classes of aircraft. So the Formula One class is um, l- these tiny little airplanes. They have very specific criteria, a- and they're flying O200 engines. So it's the same engine that's in a Cessna 150. The difference is they're getting 200 miles per hour with a stock four-cylinder, 100-horsepower engine. Um, so everything is about the engineering of the airplane. Uh, the, uh, one of the other classes is biplanes. So that's where your, your pits, pit specials, your Mongs, your Smith mini planes, um, they're in there. I'll skip the sport class for now. Um, there's a T6 class, um, which is pretty cool because they're all the same airplane. They're all going to same speed, which makes for some close racing. So that's any version. Uh, it's the Harvard, the Texan, the SNJ, uh, and then you have a jet class which is usually L-39s, uh, L-29s, De Havilland Vampires, Provosts. Uh, and then the, the big boys are the unlimited. So those are your World War II fighters, your P-51s, your Sea Furies, F-8 Hellcats. Um, 
So it, it's just an, an awesome mix of airplanes and you're watching them just go around this course. There's three different courses based on the speeds. Um, but I said I would come back to the sport class because that's sort of who I was working with. So the sport class in itself, they're, they're essentially home-built amateur aircraft uh, or amateur-built or home-built aircraft, uh, mostly Lansairs, Glassairs, and Vans RVs with a couple uh, P-51, or sorry, T-51 Thunder Mustangs. Um, now, these airplanes are built generally in somebody's garage wow. <laughs> or at a hangar somewhere. And they are, they are reaching the 400-mile-per-hour mark. Uh, so if you think about it, the, the Lansairs and the Glassairs, there are four- and six-cylinder engines, but they're running nitrous. They're running you know, twin-turbo, uh, six-cylinder engines with, with um, the highly, highly modified aircraft, which you can do because they're not certified. Um, so it's just amazing to watch the crews at work. It's amazing to watch the pilots um, train for this. And, and that's really what I, what I got out of my week-long experience there at PRS was, was the training that they go through is incredibly difficult. Um, the camaraderie. So all these guys are out there, uh, guys and gals, because there's some uh, – Vicki Bensing is an amazing – she does an, an aerobatic show across the country. Um, she's got a very, very fast Lancer legacy, uh, and very experienced Reno air racer. Um, we had, uh, Jody Ruger on the show a couple months ago. Mm. So her now fiance, Sean Van Hatton is one of the instructors and, uh, they're in the sport class with a very nice glass air. Um, but, but it's amazing because it's, it's a motorsport. It's the world's fastest motorsport, really, if you think about it and, and these pilots have to completely trust each other because there is, as we say here, especially here in Charlotte, North Carolina, trade and paint, there's no trade and paint in, in, in air racing, right? The idea is to stay out of each other's way, but make it competitive racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the amount of trust and camaraderie that I saw uh, as soon as the, the aircraft are back on the ground is is – just really, really impressive. It gives me goose, goosebumps to to see how everybody was was working so closely together, and then they get out on the course and do 400 miles an hour, you know, inches from each other. Really. Well, last year's race um, in the jet class, there was a bit of Rubens racing, and some paint and a few bits of an L39 were traded. Yeah, there was, and the, you know, the, there's some good video of that. Um, happening and that that was a lot of uh, the training that goes on is what what are the procedures when something goes wrong like that um, very few I can't imagine anybody doing something on purpose that would yeah. put another pilot in, on, in danger but you're racing so close that it just happens and and um, so one of the uh, <laughs> one of the more impressive slightly crazy things that I that I witnessed was um, in training, especially the rookies, they have to demonstrate an upset recovery. Well, you, you know, if you do pilot training, you, you do a spin, you do, you can do it in a sim, you can do, there's all kinds of ways to do upset recovery training. The difference is uh, Reno upset recovery is, is designed to simulate you, you are in behind another aircraft in dirty air, but you're only hundred, the top of the course is 250 feet 
AGL. The bottom is 50 feet. So if you think about getting caught in, in, a, in wake turbulence and the, your airplane flipping upside down and you're 100 foot from the ground, there's not a lot of recovery time. So uh, I, I love that I'm doing the pilot thing on the, <laughs> on the video, right? Because um, I was inverted. Yeah, because <laughs> you were inverted, you know, and, and if you, that's exactly what they'd have to do. They, they, they flip inverted and they have to roll back and then immediately, you know, get to a safe altitude. Um, just so, so cool to watch these guys do that. I, I, yeah, a friend I, of mine. It just sounds absolutely Sorry. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine uh, used to race his L39 over there. I've got a couple of folks I know who fly in the jets. But um, yeah, Mark Pracy, um, he yeah. used to race at 39 over there. Uh, yeah, he's a lot of fun. And whenever I'm doing commentary for him at an air show, uh, I've sort of talked to him about him being Australia's fastest motorsport person. <laughs> so, uh, which annoys the F1 racing guys. Of course, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and if I know you, Grant, that's precisely the reason why you word it like that. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. It's, it's, it's Mark and I having a bit of a stir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely looking forward to the um, segments from you coming mm, up. Can't wait, yeah. Armando. Yeah, it was so cool. And then um, I, NBC Sports has good coverage, so I think you can just go on on YouTube and and look at last year's uh, 2018 and 2017's coverage and and kind of get an idea. But there's nothing like being there and listening to yeah. a couple P51s, you know, doing circles around you at 500 miles per hour. Um, yeah, so and, the, and, so you, the and you manage to concentrate on your job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so I was working the ramp um, out there for the sport class, and it was the coolest thing because that's the best seat in the house. Yeah, I mean, I once they give you some, you know, some orange wands and a yellow vest, and and the, you get to go out right up to the taxiway. Um, that is absolutely the the best, and you can feel the airplanes going going by you. Wow. Um, so I can't wait till September. Uh, it's mid September when the races are, and. Uh, yeah, so so cool. Jealous. Would love to be there. Absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll, so say, we'll, we'll talk more about this, uh, obviously, later on. We've got some what sounds like some fantastic behind-the-scenes oh, yeah. uh, interviews to, to look forward to. But we are, I'm Our afraid, so going to have to move on so, Amanda, to the military because, uh, you know, it's not something we can, you know, merely bump anymore. So no. it's, uh, oh. we, we need Carry to on, move Armando. on. <laughs> yeah. Thank no, you. you're, you're welcome to bump it. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. <laughs> you can just give me the secret I know how, sign. Uh, excuse me. I know how highly trained you are. There's no way in a million years I would dare do that. So uh, if everybody <laughs> is ready, let's do the military. All right. So the first military story um Turkey has has been in the spotlight for our show today. So from Popular Mechanics, Turkey has its own high-tech fighter jet in the works. Uh, the modern fighter jets are some of the most complex machines imaginable, yet one country that has never built one before, Turkey, is going to try its hand. So at the Paris Air Show this week, the country showed off a full-size replica of its future fighter while the country nears expulsion from the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter program. So the new fighters, uh, known as the TFX, or Turkey, comma, Fighter Experimental, is currently underdeveloped 
uh, development by Turkish Aerospace Industries. Uh, in the promotional video, the jet will be 60 feet long by 39 feet wide, have a maximum speed of Mach 2 while running on two engines, uh, 40,000 pounds of thrust. Uh, max altitude is 55,000 feet, combat radius of 690 miles. Uh, shows off some uh, clean, stealthy lines, internal, internal weapons base. Um, so the TFX is generally comparable to the uh, F-18 Super Hornet, which is about 60 feet long, 44 feet wingspan. Um, let's see, Turkey has been building up this project for some time. The country is one of the... Uh, is a new one to actually build fighter jets um, producing F-16s under license from the U.S. Uh, TAI also produces center fuselages, uh, air inlet ducts, and weapons pylons for the F-35. Um, Turkey previously proposed joining forces with South Korea to build a fighter before deciding to strike out on its own. So... I th we were watching a little promo video actually during that. I mean, it, it looks like a very interesting concept, certainly. Yeah, I think uh, we're starting to see a lot, you know, the, the development, the, really the, the revolutionary uh, fighter jet design and the fifth and sixth gen fighters, um, I think is st really starting to, to, to catch on, you know, and we're seeing these, these future concepts all sort of have the same um, design if, if you really think about it. Yeah. So the next story is on uh, Flight Global, this one. Yep. And uh, this one is uh, headline, Paris, this is at uh, Bell Boeing tries to sell V-22 despite lackluster interest. Uh, with its ability to offer bulk discounts to foreign militaries closing within about a year, uh, all uh, or the Bell Boeing joint venture that makes and sells the V-22 Osprey hopes to close deals for up to 50 aircraft. Boeing says that about a dozen prospective customers are on its radar and it's encouraging them to sign a letter of offer and acceptance for the tilt rotor by the third quarter of 2020. Prospective customers include Israel and possibly blue water na uh, navies that uh, need to resupply ships on long voyages. The US Air Force, US Marine Corps and US Navy as well as Japan's self-defense forces signed a 4.2 billion dollar year contract in June 2018 for 78 of the tilt rotors. The acquisition was the US government's third multi-year contract for the aircraft and the bulk purchase came with a price reduction that the V-22 joint program office is able to pass on to foreign militaries. People ought to act, I feel, like a TV huckster out here trying to sell people, telling uh, telling people that you need to call now, said Rick Limaster, Boeing's Director of Global Sales and Marketing for the V-22, at a Boeing event in mid-May. He said that we really are to a point uh, where this window will cl forever close. At the top of Boeing's pitch la uh, list appears to be Israel. We are very close with Israel back in December 2014. There were some domestic issues that in a country that caused the LOA-related process to stop, says Limaster. Uh, as they've act recently gone through another election, we think the V-22 is still on their list of things they'd like to acquire. Uh, we are hopeful that they will prioritize uh, that and there's sufficient funding to make that go ahead. Uh, other likely customers are navies that may want to resupply their ships without having to go back to port or leave vital area patrols, he says. Uh, the, uh, he didn't name any other prospective bars, although navies with aircraft carriers and the Lockheed Martin F-35B, the UK and Italy, could potentially uh, 
B targets, as the V-22 is capable of carrying a replacement Pratt & Whitney F-135 engine. That is one key role the US United States Navy and United States Marine Corps have for the tilt rotor. The V-22 JPO made a similar buy-now pitch at the Farnborough Air Show in 2018, but has been unable to close any additional sales, making the same pitch at the Paris Air Show as well. Uh, the Boeing has uh, Boeing has been surprised by the V-22 slow sales, so am I, because it looks awesome. Uh, we've had a lot of interest, and a lot of shoppers, I'm sure we've had much interest, by the way, of buyers, says Lead Master. I thought demand would uh, coalesce much sooner than we much uh, would be much further along in terms of international customers, based on what I see as the ability of the aircraft to go and solve people's problems. Yeah, I'm surprised it does better than that, because I love the B-22. And I've been lucky enough to go on board one as well. Yeah, as you as you saw, Carlos, you and uh, and your dad, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to a V22, and mm. um, I, I think this probably has to do. You, you know, it's it's a very niche aircraft, and you have to have quite the maintenance uh, infrastructure to support it. But you have Bell out there with the V280, the Valor, who is. You know, they've already done their demonstration flights and uh, it's probably a little bit lower maintenance and it's faster. Um, so for anybody that doesn't uh, track it, the, the uh, Pratt & Whitney F-135 engine is the engine for the F-35. So yeah, it, it is huge that you can take this airplane, uh, you can take a V-22, throw an engine in it and go out and fly incredibly long distances out to sea. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's um, you know it's a, a great utility aircraft, but uh, yeah, you you got to have a, a big maintenance um, budget to support them. So, uh, be interested to see what who buys this in the in the near future. And I got to go on one. Cost for, uh, to sign it. I got yeah. to go on a V twenty five. Okay, not, <laughs> not the in, in flight or static? No, no, static, static. But okay, I I was very lucky. I got the full yeah, full yeah. tour. Of uh, the aircraft, I can't imagine how. No, 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 me neither. I have friends in high places. Do you? Right. Okay. I do, what we what we're going to do then, Grant, is we're going to end on a nice what I a call feel a, a good feel story. good story. So perhaps you could take the uh, last story for us, please, mate. Okay, mate. This is coming from Combat Aircraft, America's best-selling military aviation magazine, and it says Centurion Typhoon, the cornerstone of RAF Combat Air. There's a quiet revolution oh, going on. No, no, wrong story. That's not a feel-good oh, story. I went for the wrong one, didn't I? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. that's a feel-good story. Well, I was feeling, uh, I don't know, the Centurion Typhoon. I'm looking at it going, this is awesome. <laughs> but anyhow, okay, I got the wrong one, didn't I? Oh, now I see why it's that one. This is on the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I know. From one extreme to the other. It's yeah. still a nice story, Grant. <laughs> World War II Army veteran, 97 years old, and the woman he fell in love with during the war meet again, 75 years old. Aww. Oh, brother. KT Robbins was reunited with his French sweetheart, uh, Janine, uh, or Janine, yes, who he met at age 24 in 1944 before being sent to the Eastern Front. A Second World War American veteran has reunited with his long-lost French sweetheart 75 years after they first met in her hometown. K.T. Robbins, 97, first met 18-year-old Janine uh, Pearson, formerly Ganae, sorry about that, after asking her mother to help him with his washing while he was stationed in Bray in 1944. Man, it's my turn to butcher the words. Um, <laughs> the then 24-year-old the fell passionately in love with Janine now 92, although they were torn apart when Robbins was sent to the Eastern Front. 
Uh, Janine said she wept when Robbins left and even learnt some basic English in the hope that he would return, but the veteran moved back to America after the war. But Robbins never forgot about his sweetheart and held on to her picture for 75 years. Pretty awesome. So some nice photos of them coming back. Looks like they've got a good seat. Uh, <laughs> the veteran told TV, uh, French TV channel France too, I told her maybe I'll come back and take you, but it did not happen like that. Uh, Janine said, I always loved you. You never got out of my heart. When he left in the truck, I cried, of course. I was very sad. I wish after the war he hadn't returned to America. Uh, Robbins and Janine found new partners and got married after the war. However, their spouses have now both passed away. Oh. oh. Kept the picture for decades. I thought this was supposed to make us feel better. What's going on? <laughs> the well, pair met once again when Robbins travelled back to France to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. There you go. Journos had managed to track down his former lover after he showed them a picture. Oh, wow. Go Journos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, pretty cool if you go over to um, France Montcatre or any of the YouTube videos on this yeah. they uh it's a lovely video and yeah. and watching no it is I, unfortunately I was unable to get uh, permission to to play it out which is a bit of a shame but uh, sure sure say, well, we had the pictures uh, which I, I'm I'm pleased to say were were as beautiful but it, you know it's just uh, it's such a lovely story isn't it it's uh, I, I, the, the the thing that sort of blows my mind really is the fact that the <laughs> There are still a few of these guys left. This is, I mean, I know the numbers are dwindling yeah. massively now. Um, and I think that's what makes these stories so so sort of warm and fuzzy. You know, it's, uh, it's a shame it's taken this long for them to get back in touch, really. Yeah. Amazing they recognized each other as soon as they, they saw each other, which warmed my heart. Yeah. I, uh, perhaps, perhaps we don't. I suppose if you know somebody that well, perhaps you perhaps you know you you still look the same. Perhaps in your own, you know, even well, even though time has marched on, perhaps. Well, it was cool. He pulled out a picture of her and oh. showed her back from oh, from right. the World War Two, and and she goes, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> yeah, that is just such a that is just so cool. That is so cool. We're going to uh, bring the military segment to a close there. We are rapidly running out of time. We're actually going to go over two hours. I'm not happy. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. There is uh, a very nice little piece of video that I just want to share with everyone, if I may. Uh, regular listeners to the Airplane Geeks will know very much uh, that there was a, a big meet-up uh, going place going in place sorry he's trying to press buttons and talk this is not working well multitasking, uh, yeah, multitasking. <laughs> yeah blokes can't do this this never ends well anyway sorry this is uh where is my director when i need him anyway so airplane geeks uh, podcast as i say they airplane geeks attended the annual innovations in flight family day and outdoor aviation display the event was held at the smithsonian uh, national air and space museum and i want to i've got a question that uh, micah gave us that uh, i will play to uh, nev um uh, when he's back hopefully next week but uh, yeah so that was at the uh, Stephen F. Uvahazi Center in Chantilly Virginia I hope I said that correctly uh, the event was apparently sponsored by uh, uh, United Airlines and my personal thanks uh, to a very nice chap who I'd not spoken to before actually but a chap by the name of Robert Fairburn who have very kindly sort of did all the, the tech and everything so that we could have a quick chat uh, live uh, uh, at, at said event 
Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday afternoon. It is quarter past two uh, on the 15th of June, and I have been joined by two very special guests. But I'll introduce the first one, and he can take charge because he's better at this sort of thing than I am. So, uh, Micah, how lovely to see you on this Saturday afternoon. Matt, it is wonderful to see you, and it may be Saturday afternoon for you, but it's Saturday morning for us, and uh, it's 9.15 in the morning here at Innovations in Flight at the Stephen F. Uverhazy Center, part of the Smithsonian Institution Air and Space Museum in Chantilly, Virginia. And uh, it's, you can't imagine, well, you've been to Duxford yes. and heard us all talk about the airplane geeks participating in the Innovations in Flight connection for the past 11 years. And we're here again, and somebody just walked by with the same shirt that I'm wearing. Um, <laughs> wow, that's, uh, who, um, who'd have thought it? <laughs> obviously, obvi obviously a fellow person with excellent taste. That's, that's clearly what clearly well, what Not that's my taste, because the shirt I'm wearing, Aaron bought for me. That's the, there's an F-22 flying by right now. We're inside a hangar. Inside this hangar is on display is the Enola Gay B-29. It's a Dash 80, the original um, 707, predecessor of the 707, the Tex Johnson barrel rolled. There's a Concorde. There's a, a Junker trimotor. And right behind us, I mean, there's so many aircraft. And right behind us, what you can see in the background is a Folkwolf 190, one of the aircraft from German Luftwaffe in World War II that used to fly against Spitfires and Mustangs and Hurricanes. But the most important thing is directly to my right is Robert Fairburn, also known as Hamish T. Haggis in the chat room, who lives in D.C. and has come down here with his technical expertise to bring us to you and share us with PTUK. Also around us and will join us momentarily is the unbelievable and amazing Max Flight and my best friend and Kreplach brother, Eric Ryback, who <laughs> drove with me. Uh, I drove down from Maine on Thursday, picked him up in Red Hook, New York. We drove down to New Jersey, spent the night, and then drove down here to Chantilly, Virginia. Total about 600 miles for me, about 300 yeah. miles for Eric. And uh, it's so great to be here to be able to bring PTUK that, and Airplane Geeks together for a little bit of podcast. Now, he's he's quite quite often your traveling companion, isn't he? Because actually when you and I met in New York, I believe uh, uh, Eric was your traveling companion then as well. And in Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, ah, yes. When we, when we were at Pittsburgh, at Wings Over Pittsburgh, um, Eric and I made our, actually, our, we've known each other for close to 30 years. That was our first road trip together. This was our second, but, you know, we're, we're best buds. And he's going to walk between me and uh, and Robert, and, and he won't be able to hear you, or and you might not be able to hear him, but you'll get the vision. And there's our good friend, Eric Ryback, uh, joining us. And uh, and you'll be, I mean, you could probably say hello. I'll be a little off mic. But... Hey, Matt. <laughs> Hey Eric, I know you can't hear me, but uh, yes, as I say, we've we've met before, which is a real treat. Uh, it, ha it has to be said. Uh, great, great times, obviously, going back then. Uh, so, uh, so what's actually on the itinerary for for the airplane geeks today? Then you're here doing uh, this uh, this this what I can only describe as a marathon podcast. Yes, well, it starts at uh, well, the museum opens at 10 a.m. and this organizes the program Innovations of Flight, runs till 3 p.m., our time, obviously, on the East Coast. And we'll be interviewing guests who come through. There's all sorts of different exhibitors who are normal, who are come here just for this event. Uh, Dispatcher Mike flew in in his Musketeer from Atlanta. We saw him last night. Hillel Glazier came down from Maryland in his uh, Piper. I don't know which model. He's got a uh, Cherokee. Cherokee. Cherokee 180, oh, I believe. Um, 
And we were supposed to be joined by, uh, by, by David Vanderhoof, Airplane Geeks historian, who unfortunately was too ill and must be, we love him so bad, so much, and we feel so badly for him because this is his favorite place in the world and he would never miss this. And he's come here deathly ill, but he couldn't make it this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so fortunately, our pal Robert decided to fill in for him. So he'd be a guest host of the Airplane Geeks with us today. Fantastic. Going to be very exciting. See what I can help with here. <laughs> Absolutely. So let us, uh, just for a moment, uh, see what happens when we reverse the camera and see if you can see in front of us what we're looking at is, uh, let me see when it comes up and if we can see. There what we comes go. Up. There's the, the big aircraft oh, with wow. the twin, as you can see, just the one half of it. That's the Enola Gay, a B-29 bomber but not just any B-29 bomber. That's the one that dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima back on oh August goodness. 6, 1945. That's the plane that Paul Tibbetts captain and dropped the bomb on that was part of the whole Manhattan Project. The Smithsonian Institution is a museum that doesn't have displays. They have artifacts. <laughs> and every aircraft that is here has a story to tell. And that's one of them much going on obviously this afternoon uh what uh what have you got lined up it's amazing and uh listeners at home will be very surprised in terms of what we line up and how we've done this every year for the airplane geeks is the way we line it up is we have nothing (laughs) okay (laughs) we have nothing we when once the museum opens once there are other displays set up we'll walk around we'll gather people and we'll find people and bring them to the table I happen to be be on the guest mic right now, but we'll flip that around, and then the three of us will interview people as they happen by and see who we get. We've had astronauts, we've had pilots, we've had uh, all sorts of amazing folk, and we'll see who we get this year. <laughs> Fantastic. Can't wait. Uh, so th- this is obviously all recorded and then will be put out at a later date, or are we streaming live? Uh, no, it's going to be uh, all recorded, and then uh, Max Flight, the amazing producer that he is, We'll edit it all together and come up with something, and it will be out. Uh, today is the uh, 15th, so uh, 16th, 17th, Wednesday the 18th is when wow. it should be out, when the Airplane Geeks usually come out, about released about 10 in the morning on, on Wednesday. So we'll see what we have. Fantastic. And so uh, how do people go, uh, How do if they, if they live under a stone and they haven't come across you yet, how, do they, how on earth do they find the Airplane Geeks to give it a good old listen? airplanegeeks.com and of course any podcast application will definitely be able to find it for you just put in airplane geeks and uh, and we're there oh well fantastic thank you very much for taking time out of what must be a very busy time right now especially as you're busy setting up in time to open thank you for joining us guys and uh, let's I, I hope it all goes well the only way it's going to be great the only way it could be better matt is if you could have flown over and and been here with us (laughs) that would have been good one of of these days i have lots of things on my bucket list one of oshkosh is one of them and uh uh, to come to this event that you're at the moment uh it looks like an incredible museum i can't wait for a walk around yeah i've not been to duxford but this place is pretty fantastic and i by what i understand it's a it's comparable in how it's set up as you mentioned earlier but it's one of the things that stands out this place you walk people around and you can miss incredible things it's okay. just it's overwhelming thanks guys thank you so much for joining us and and have a great day thanks you too thanks so thanks so much for putting it together matt great to see you 
There we are. Now, yes, apologies for that. I'm not very good at doing this whole interviewing thing, as you probably saw, because somebody over here forgot that we were supposed to be doing that because he's got his new silly, busy, busy schedule. So poor Matt had to do that on his own. But never mind. <laughs> there we are. All part of the fun. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's always good to hear from Uncle Micah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that was good. Uh, it's, uh, it looks like a, do you know what? It looks like a great uh, museum. Mm. I would love to see the Never yeah. guy. Now, Never's actually been. So uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about it. And, of course, those watching the YouTube feed will know that the picture behind me, all the pictures that you saw in in that piece by the way were very kindly supplied to me by Richard Fairbairn and as uh, as is indeed the picture that's on our, our backdrop uh, tonight awesome. but uh, uh, if you uh, haven't listened to it already you can, can find just that say, very to, episode can I just say it's safe to say your bucket is huge uh, it is, is large there are lots of things <laughs> look to be honest <laughs> That's a very personal question. Do you mind? Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, family show. Uh, 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 Airplane Geeks podcast, uh, episode 557, Innovations in Flight 2019. If you haven't done so already, it is available for you to download and listen to. I'm going to ignore that and let's move on. It's time to start wrapping up, boys and girls. Yeah, so we are going to wrap up uh, episode 274 of the show. We're going to say a massive thanks to everyone who's joined us in the world of YouTube on this uh, Saturday morning here in the UK and across the globe as well. All our listeners who've tuned in in incredibly early hours of the morning to, I to know. Uh, listen to the show. <laughs> and also not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show via audio, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the usual. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Show actually, we hit a little bit of a mi milestone for us, actually. We, we've hit the 500 subscribers mark on, on YouTube, which I'm slightly excited about. Uh, but then I don't get out much, so yeah. that's that's probably <laughs> why. Uh, the, uh, it is, uh, Grant, it has been so great to speak to you. It's uh, We need to not leave it so long next time, because I think it must have been just over, well, it's probably been at least eight months since I've spoken to you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you needed that long just to recover after trying to edit what I say. Well, you know, more, more to get Alan <laughs> more, more to get over what we got up to in Rome, but that's another story for that will never reach the uh, light of day. Uh, moving on, uh, and also a, uh, we're going to say a big thanks as well to Armando for obviously getting yeah. up incredibly yeah, look, early. And look here, look at the so uh, <laughs> Armando is just going to say something, so the camera will switch back to him. Uh, so, say hello, hello. Thank you, Yay. perfect. Now, if you look at the clock behind, if you're watching the YouTube feed, you'll see the clock in the middle there. It's his local time. We're about to finish the show here, and it's not even ten past seven in the morning where he is. I know. That's how early that man got up. But uh, that is dedication. Can... Yeah, I'm surprised my child hasn't gotten up yet and been right. like, what, what is going on over there? <laughs> what is, what is, what are you, she doesn't care that much. It must be, must be scrambled, <laughs> it must be scrambled egg on toast time, Armando. It is. I, I got to admit, I... I did uh, switch the usual uh, scotch for just a nice big jug of coffee <laughs> oh, this morning for the podcast. So. That's very healthy of you. Well done. Uh, no, I thought it was cool to have uh, Grant on. That, that's awesome. You know, we were commenting in the in the chat room how we covered a good chunk of the British Empire today with all our ex. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, cool. a, good, a, a little bit of up, a very important update, by the way, because I know everybody will have been worrying, of course. Uh, uh, good news is that uh, Dr. Steph did actually survive her run. Uh, she is back in the car. She did a 5K run because she's, I presume it was 5K or was it miles? It might be miles. Probably 500 five miles. miles. It would have been five, five miles. miles. She did five miles. How long have we been on air? Is that <laughs> Yeah, five, it took me to do five, five miles. Five miles to Steph is like five minutes. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. yeah. 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 Fair oh, enough. So, okay. anyway. I also learned a new word during that recording, by the What's way. That? Yeah, I've never heard of the word podfest before. 
Podcast. Pod Podcast. Pod okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. We're committing podcest, guys. Right. Yeah. Okay. Once again. Well, it's only illegal in 48 of the 50 states. So. Is it? Good news. That's so, uh, what don't... about the state you're in? <laughs> or, or are you now in hot water? Yeah. Uh, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, actually, I'll, I'll leave North Carolina out of it, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair <laughs> and on that bombshell, that sounds like a perfect place no. to end. Take, what, what's the matter? I was going to say, send us some feedback. Oh, we okay. love to hear from you. Oh, right. Podcast <laughs> at plaintalkinguk.com. Send us in your feedback, your emails, your pictures. And don't forget, if you want to have your picture on the green screen behind me here and Matt, you can send your picture into the show and we'll put it on the wall behind us and give you a mention on the show. Very much so, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's it, guys. That's where we bring the show. Grant, thank you very much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Grant. Armando, great Thanks. to have you back. And Yay. fingers crossed next week yeah. that Nev will be back from his holiday. With a suntan. So, and, uh, we, 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 a suntan? <laughs> He's in the UK. It's sunny. Right. Okay. And yeah. on that bombshell, <laughs> time to end. Take care, everyone. We'll see you all next Bye, week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.